welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Matt Strong and Allie. Hey guys. Hey guys, wait, I need everyone to hear this. Justin Bieber is producing our podcast now. He told me to put that in there. What did you just do? If you listen to Justin Bieber music, he always, he has that noise in there, you know, like opening a can no i maybe i don't listen to enough justin bieber yeah clearly get with it (laughs) well guys it's episode 41 justin bieber is not with us today physically but perhaps in spirit and it feels (laughs) really good to be kind of on a semi-regular recording schedule maybe we'll see i don't want to jinx it yeah we'll see you know I am really just so excited to get this shit back on the road. I know for a lot of people, because people have been adding us on social media and being like, let's get haunted was my life. Like, it was the only thing getting me through this, like, shitty time. And we were like, you know, us too. Like, this is the only thing that I look forward to. I feel like even though we're in the middle of a pandemic and life has been a lot slower for a lot of people, not for us, though. Shit has just been so crazy. Shit happening every two seconds. And Natalia... I hear you have an update for us on Night Boy. If you guys haven't been following anything on social media that Natalia has been up to, do you want to start at the beginning of this tale, Natalia? Oh, man. Well, first of all, let me correct you. It's Nighttime Boy. Oh, sorry. Nighttime Boy. That's okay. Night Boy was his father. Um, So (laughs) long story short, I am illegally housing a wild possum um now let me start so that that's my like little elevator pitch okay now here let me go back to the start i'm driving i'm not paying attention i'm trying to get from one place to another in the fast lane going probably like 90 miles an hour so i see this like little roadkill thing on the side of the road and i'm like well that's sad and then i look in my rearview mirror and i see that it's very alive it's a possum and it's licking its leg and it's so cute like i can't describe how cute they are they have like (laughs) these little bouncy like mickey mouse ears you know and they're just furry things and i know a lot of times people see them and they look like my boyfriend says it gives him nightmares and so he won't let me have it in the house and he like doesn't care about it and he's like just let it go in the wild and die i don't care but if you look at them from certain angles they're really cute you know, I've, I follow a Twitter account called Possum Every Hour, and it's just this account that has an algorithm that looks online for pictures of possums on Google. And every hour, it'll automatically upload a picture of a possum that it finds. It's just a computer. Like, there's no guy behind. Well, I mean, I guess a guy made the account or a lady made yeah. the account. I don't know who it was that made the account. Maybe the possum made the account. And every hour, it just uploads a new possum. And they're they're very cute. I know what you mean. They're super cute. Look, I'm an animal lover, but I'm not a dumbass. Like, if I see something's dying, I'll just, like, give it its peace. It's dead or whatever. I'm not going to, like, try to put it through more pain by, like, trying to drag out its death. You know what I mean? But this thing was, like, I didn't think that it was hurt. I just thought that it was stranded. I was like, he probably walked across the highway early in the morning before there were any cars. And now it's 1 p.m. and it's like super hot and he's just can't get back. So I turned around. I went the opposite direction. I finally, I see it. I'm like, oh my God, there it is. And I'm kind of thinking like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? But I just had one of those Liam Neeson moments where you're just fight or flight. But this time it was to save a possum. And I pull up. (laughs) (laughs) I stop my car next to the possum and I put my flashers on and immediately everyone's honking at me going around super pissed and whatever and I like didn't have a moment to think I just picked him up with my bare hand like I just like reached from behind picked the thing up 
it fit in the palm of my hand like a basketball and I just like shoved it in a box that was in my car and um then I was thinking like you know what it's super hot this thing got stranded I'm just gonna go let it sleep and drink some water and then tonight I'll just release it like near where I found it so I like let it I put it in my bathtub I put it like the little box that it's in in there and I put some water in there and then I just turn the lights off and I leave and I come back later that night to release him and he's like still sleeping so soundly and it's so cute he's curled up in this little ball you know when you see in in um in cartoons and they're like yes uh-huh like doing the honk shoes i saw it like that's what he was doing so me being me you know i took out my instagram live and i was like hey guys here's the deal i found this possum i'm supposed <laughs> to release it tonight i'm not a possum expert but like I'm looking at him and he genuinely looks so peaceful right now sleeping. And I just feel like maybe because his sleep schedule was off, maybe I should give him extra sleep, you know? And everyone agreed. They were like, yeah, that's what you <laughs> Everyone just enabling you. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, he's so cute and he's sleeping. Just let him sleep. Come back tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. And I come back the next day and he's still sleeping. And then I try to like pick him up and get him to move around and he's kind of dragging this leg behind him and then it kind of occurs to me maybe he was legit injured what if he's like has internal bleeding what if he has a rib that's jutted into his liver and he's really hurt and he's in so much pain now the next right thing is to take him to the vet and if he really is suffering then I should have him euthanized even though that sucks and I don't want to do that Sometimes that's the most humane thing you can do. Right. So I finally, through a bunch of people online, find this Facebook group. And I forgot to say, everyone's going to be like, find a wildlife center. You guys, you don't think I've already tried that? I called every single number of any wildlife center that's in California and they either were at capacity, meaning they won't take in any more animals, or they're closed from COVID, or they don't accept possums. So it was kind of just like a big fuck you, you're on your own, you know? It's weird because it's in California, it's illegal to have a wild animal unless you're rehabbing it if you don't have a license. But then also I'm trying to call all these places that have rehabbers and have access to like networks that can connect you with someone. And everyone's just kind of like, sorry, fuck you. I have 40 possums right now. I don't know what to tell you. Right. I was talking to Audrey about, because she used to work at a wildlife rehab center, as you know, but our listeners don't know. And some of the animals that they took in there were possums and so when I saw that on your Twitter I was like oh shit I bet you Audrey knows someone and then I was talking to her the other day and I was like oh did you ever get a hold of anyone at that rehab center and she was like no because basically what's going on is a lot of the rehab centers in Southern California are run almost entirely on volunteers and the volunteers do all of like the grunt work, like cleaning cages, feeding, and that way the vet techs and the surgeons only focus on getting the animal better medically to be re-released in the wild. And she was saying because of COVID, she realized that a lot of these rehab centers are no longer able to have volunteers. So it's basically mm -hmm. just the vet techs and the surgeons, and they obviously can't be cleaning out the same number of cages and feeding the same number of animals as like 20 volunteers could do. Right. So it kind of just put me in this weird position where I, I just had to do what I thought was right. And so 
I take him to the vet. Finally, I found through this woman that found me on Instagram that found me through someone else and then like took me to this. I joined this like Facebook group called Opossum Rescue and Care. I saw your mom posted to Facebook like, oh, my sweet Tala, she found this possum and it was screenshots of like your posts on this possum group. And I was like, oh, shit, dude. No one is like more invested in this than my mom, but she's like using it to like get make content for herself. She's like, oh, I this saw is great that. for keeping yeah. up. Yeah, she's like, this is great for keeping up with my followers. By the way, everyone, my mom is recently like a year ago started writing romance novels, and that's like all she does now. And she sells them on Amazon. And if you want to make someone really happy, go buy her books and read them. Her name is Riffy Strawn. She will love that. But so, anyways. I get take him to the vet and the vet's kind of like what the fuck because I show up and I have a box with a straight up wild possum in it (laughs) with a broken leg please can you help me and I'm that's like I'm sure get this shit all the time where like some idiot comes in with like a a frog that's been half run over and is like you know still breathing and they're like can you please put it back together and the vet's like it doesn't want to go back together. It wants to die. <laughs> but if they did surgery on a grape, they can do surgery on a frog. And that's all I know about that. My thoughts exactly, Alyssa. My thoughts exactly. Wow. I wish I had the nut button for that, but that's upstairs. <laughs> Damn it. Wow. I'm very impressed with that, Alyssa. Um, so then the vet takes him in and he's kind of like, we'll have to do some x-rays or whatever. And I'm like, okay. So he does the x-ray and it's like got a broken femur, broken in half. The femur is the thigh bone and that's really not good. I mean, they need major surgery to reconstruct that. And so he's like, yeah. And he's got this gash over here and he's got fleas and stuff. And he's just like, you know, if you, we can put him down. And I was like, well, if we don't put him down, will he be able to have, like, a life? Like, could he be released back into the wild? Or could he, like, be used as an educational pet? Or would he even like that? I don't know enough about possums. I just want to be, like, guided. And he's like, he probably won't be able to be released into the wild. But there's a lot of, like, these people who keep possums and stuff. And I was like, what? There is? He's like, well, you don't have to think about it. I just start crying immediately. Like, when he says, like, oh, he's got a broken femur and all the stuff. Like, I just start losing my mind. Like, you know when you, like, can't not cry? Like, you're sitting there and there's tears streaming down your face and you just can't stop them. Mm -hmm. And you're not even crying. Like, I'm not even doing, like, the muscles to, like, release. You know, I'm not even, like, blinking my eyes. They're just, like, streaming down while I'm smiling. Like, (laughs) yeah. Like, looking like a psychopath yeah yeah I was like particularly unhinged and I'm sure he's thinking the same he's like this person brought me in like a possum they picked up off of the freeway and now they're crying you know on my doorstep (laughs) so then I take the possum home and for three days I like feed it and give it its antibiotics by hand after I also got a gash stitched up on him and I just like add it to my story and I'm like can someone else you know I've been trying to find another rehabber and people are like directing me and helping me and then Everyone online was so sick. Everyone donated money so that he could have this surgery to realign his femur, like, which was crazy. I did not expect anyone to care about it. Yeah, that's incredible. And it was so, like, nice that everyone was coming together because everyone was like, yeah, this possum represents, like, humanity taking back 2020. (laughs) They're like, he's the symbol of the future and change. And so then I take him in to go get his surgery. Finally, I had to convince the vet to let me do it. And the vet's like does this surgery on him and the pictures are ridiculous because this is like a possum and he's got like an IV and he's passed out and he's got like he's has like a full surgery yeah 
And then he came back from the vet yesterday and he survived the surgery, which was great. But luckily I found this rehabber and I just went to his house before we started recording and the guy came out and I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to take the possum to some random dude. Like, is he going to take good care of him? The guy comes out with a baby possum on his head. It's like attached to his head. Wait, did you take a picture of it? I want to see. Oh, oh yeah, I did. It's on my camera. I'll show it to you. But I played with the thing and whatever. And this guy has 50 possums. Holy shit. And he just rehabs them. And he has like all these different possums at different stages. That's kind of where I'm at with the possum now. Um, It's a happy ending, I guess. So we'll, we'll see though. The guy told me. So did he take it? He took him, but he was kind of like, you know, I don't know if he's going to make it. Like, I'll let you know before I do anything. Kind of like saying, like, I might have to euthanize him kind of vibes or whatever. But then I was like really trying. Like, everyone tries to just like at first, like, tell you like to just have the worst worst case scenario in your mind already because they don't want you to get your hopes up so the vet was the same way he was like i'm not going to do the surgery keep the possum for three days see if he survives and if he survives then we'll do the surgery but like he might not even live through the surgery the anesthesia might kill him from the stress like and i was just like okay but like i'm telling you this thing has such a will to survive like he i feel like if I was fucked up and released him into the wild, like his bone would just like grow mangled and he would be crippled and he would still just like survive out there. Like a bear would come towards him and he would be such a fucking asshole that the bear would be like, Oh fuck. And just like walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's the saga of the possum. I'm going to make a vlog about it so you guys can watch it and you guys can see all of the possums that I met. Well, that sounds like a positive haunting to me <laughs> nice segue Alyssa. do you have any positive hauntings that you would uh, like to talk about well my birthday was a couple weeks ago as you know yes. and we decided to do another let's get haunted fundraiser for the loveland foundation and it went really fucking well and yeah. in fact if you combine the fundraiser we did in june with the fundraiser we did for my birthday do you want to guess how much money we raised, Natalia? And don't guess too high because then it's going to be <laughs> underwhelming. So, just... um, Let me guess. $666.69. Wow. You are so close. It is $1,897.95. <gasps> oh, my God. That's great. I know. Look at us go. So fucking awesome. Everyone just like did it. I don't know. Like I wasn't expecting. I set the goal for $500. And then we met that goal and I was like, well, I'll just leave leave it open because it was a third party fundraiser. So like none of the money comes to us. Like for June, we had said we'll donate 100% of donations that come to us for the podcast. We'll like refunnel those into the Loveland Foundation. But for my birthday, we did um, a third party fundraiser. And so all that money just goes directly to the Loveland Foundation. But we get to see how much people donated on behalf of LGH. And I had set the goal for $500 and then we met it. And I was like, well, I'll just leave it open till the end of July. And then we quadrupled it. So thank you guys so much. That's awesome. Wow. That's like really cool. It just goes to show you that like if you just kind of like put it out there, maybe maybe something will happen. Yeah. I think there's nothing to lose. You've got to try. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing to lose. 
And for those of you who maybe this is your first episode and you don't know what the Loveland Foundation is, or maybe you've never heard of it, we talked about it last episode, but just really briefly, it's a charity founded by a black woman named Rachel Cargill, which focuses on providing services for black women and girls. And all of the money that you guys raised, that we raised as a community, was donated to their therapy fund. And all of that money goes towards providing free therapy for black women and girls in the U.S., And I got this DM the other day and at first I was bothered by it. And then I was like, no, like, don't be an asshole, Allie. And the DM basically said, I don't understand why you're doing this fundraiser for black women and girls. Wouldn't it be more helpful to do a fundraiser for people regardless of race? And at first I was like kind of annoyed because I'm like, what? I feel like anyone who sends a DM like that doesn't actually care about your answer. They're just right. like kind of being argumentative. Yeah. But then I was like, you know what? Rather than like be annoyed at this person, maybe they were just genuinely asking and maybe right. they're like 12 years old and they're just like, why are you doing this? I don't understand. Yeah. And I also know we have a wide international audience and healthcare works differently in different places. But you may be surprised to know that here in the U.S., your health insurance may or may not cover mental health services. And even if your health insurance does cover therapy, oftentimes you are super limited with like options. Mm -hmm. If you've ever gone to therapy, you know that like not everyone clicks with every therapist. And so it's really important to have options. Yeah, I like for example, I tried to go see a therapist and it was literally impossible. Like I couldn't get in with anyone. I would leave a message that would never get back to me. The waiting times would be like, oh, we have something for you, but it's three months from now. And I'm like, "Um, well, I'm feeling real crazy right now. So like, what do I do? Right. Yeah. And that's like, that's absurd. Like nobody should have to wait three months to see somebody if they're in a time of crisis. And even if you're not in a time of crisis, it, so what, maybe you just want to like get your shit together or like just make sure that you're okay. You can't do that. Like that's absurd. It shouldn't be like that. But why does that matter? Because I'm like trying to anticipate like what would this person that DM'd me say Mm. about like, well, why does it matter that you have options? Okay, well, first of all, accessibility, right? Which you just talked about, Natalia. You shouldn't have to wait three months to see somebody. Mm. Second of all, a lot of the time when you're going to talk to somebody, you want to talk to somebody that you feel like you can relate to. So Mm. maybe that means like if you're a woman, you'd rather talk to a woman than a man, right? Or like if you're a dude, maybe you'd rather talk to a guy because you want to like have someone that relates to you. I think sometimes people are coming from very like unique situations where they need someone who's skilled Mm -hmm. in their specific situation. Like if you have someone who's coming in for, you know, disordered eating, that's going to be a totally different field than someone who's coming in for like sexual trauma or abuse. You know, those are going to be two very different skilled therapists. Absolutely. That's a great point, too. And the Loveland Foundation understands all of that. And like the main thing is we all want to save everybody, right? Like this person that said, why not donate to a charity that's for everyone? But isn't the whole point, you know, we're trying to right now, like give more uh, healing to the black community? Like isn't like we don't normally have charities. So like isn't the whole point right now that we're like focusing on that community? That's why. That was so obvious to me that I was like, maybe this person 
wants me to go like beyond that and say like like the big picture why and it's like I thought I interpreted it as like he's asking why does this charity exist you know if we lived in a perfect society or whatever like then maybe these issues and problems would be you know taken care of by someone higher up but a lot of times some communities get overlooked and that's why charities like this exist that's not to say that we don't want to take care of everyone so everyone can have therapy but this charity helps specifically these people and a lot of times if you have like any sort of system that is really widespread it's really hard to help anyone because it's like there there's so many people in it that they get overlooked so it's like the same you know it's like going to like a boutique rather than like a department store like you're more likely to find exactly what it is that you need you know like if I want to be an Olympic sprinter I'm not going to put on like a shoe that's for everything I'm going to put on like a, a track like sprinting shoe you know like it's like specialized specialized things help Yeah, absolutely. And also, I'm thinking about all the times that like I have needed to talk to somebody. I would absolutely want to talk to someone that I felt understood what I was going through. And so the Loveland Foundation works to make sure that they can pay black female therapists to talk to black women and girls so that... Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So that the people receiving therapy feel understood. They're not talking to some like guy who has no idea what they're talking about. I found this article written on hopkinsmedicine.org and it said it was an interview with Erica Richards who is chair and medical director of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health at Sibley Memorial Hospital and she's a woman of color and they were interviewing her about um, African-American women particularly and mental health like that intersection of how Hmm. um, African-American women in the U.S. deal with mental health issues and she was saying that women in general across all racial categories are at least twice as likely to experience an episode of major depression than men Mm -hmm. and that african-american women are only half as likely as caucasian women to seek help and Mm -hmm. so that's something too that the loveland foundation recognizes like here is an opportunity to really make a difference for some people that just like aren't getting help end of story that's why we chose this charity we chose this charity for a lot of reasons but i hope I was like, okay, rather than just like get triggered, which is what I normally do. I was like, okay, maybe. (laughs) Thank you. I was like, maybe this person just genuinely doesn't know. And I think that maybe being presented with like statistics because statistics don't lie most of the time. Yeah, I think that that touches on something really special because right now is such a polarized time where like people are on like just everyone's at each other's throats. If you have an opinion about something and someone disagrees, why don't you just like genuinely explain and try to find out why they have that point of view and see if you can educate them, you know, then like that's how real change happens. No one like goes grows up and is like, oh, I'm going to be a dick. Like everyone believes in what they believe because we're all just trying to do the right thing so I think it's a really good step if we all can just start you know educating each other in like a way that's non-violent and non-aggressive that's something that I'm trying to work on with myself too is like like not get so triggered and just instead of just assuming the worst and assuming this person just wanted to be a dick I thought like what if I just assume that they're genuinely asking okay well then if they're genuinely asking then this is my genuine answer I think that's good I love that meme that somebody posted of like a guy's house was on is on fire and his neighbors isn't and the firemen are coming to put out the fire and the neighbor goes well why aren't you putting the water on my house and he's like well because your house isn't on fire like that's what's going on it doesn't mean that that house is less 
important. It's just not on fire. Right. I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. And I wish that I was super wealthy so that I could donate to even more charities. And maybe in the future, we will be able to do that. We are just two regular ass people. It's like Natalia talked about this last episode. Like, we are two yeah. regular, normal fucking people who decided to start a podcast. And I think we're just really grateful that we can make any difference, whether it's for right. a possum, whether it's for uh, the Loveland Foundation whether it's for literally anything. I think we just feel grateful that we can do anything. And now we'd like to thank the following donors from my birthday fundraiser. There are 40 of you. There were 40 of you. Okay. We've got Tristan, Ephraim, Kathleen, Hannah, Phil, Antonio, Taryn, Jennifer, Nicole, Taylor, Haley, Sierra, Julissa, Ricky, Dylan, Gina, Gina L. There were two Ginas. Daniel, Christopher, Mike, Matthew, Rohan, Rachel, Emily, Anas, Sarah, Albert, Jeremy, William, Laura, Joe, Jordan, Mia, and Austin, who are a couple, and they have donated to us multiple times, and I think that's adorable. Couples that listen to LGH together stay together. Yes. Thomas, Brian, (laughs) Ian, Michelle, Mary, Daniel, and Griffin. And we'd also like to thank our donors who donated to our podcast in the month of July. We have Emily M, James H, L-E-O, Lauren B, Ephraim P, Kayetta, and Connor H. Oh, so, okay, Natalia, this is what I wanted to talk to you about. I was researching the story that I'm going to tell you today, and I decided I was like, okay, I need to reach out to some people to interview about this because this shit's crazy. And I reached out to some people and... And I realized that the name of our podcast can be off-putting. People think that because it's Let's Get Haunted that we're just like over here dealing in the occult. But for us, being haunted, when we say like Let's Get Haunted, we're viewing it as a positive. And some people are viewing it as like very scary, spooky, negative. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to come on a podcast about getting haunted. And so I realized I have to like explain to people really carefully like what our podcast is and so I thought hey if there are any new listeners out there let's piss Natalia off and make her explain what our podcast is and what it's about all right our podcast is about anything that we think is haunted and haunted could just be anything that's just unknown or anything that's I think like when I think of haunted it's like anything that's not like homeostasis Anything that's, like, not just the borderline, like, you know, of what is normal. Like, if if, if there's a line and, like, all of society, like, exists on this line. Like, picture a line, like, a telephone line and there's a bunch of birds on top of it. And that telephone line is, like, our society and the birds are the people in our society. That doesn't mean that there's not ground below and sky above. (laughs) And those things to those birds are haunted. Wait, I lost what I was trying to say. I don't understand. I don't understand. Will you tell people what our podcast is? I don't know what it is. Well, Natalia, luckily for you, the ghost that runs our Twitter account tweeted today and said, hey, how would you describe our podcast in one sentence or less if you were talking to a friend who had never listened to us before? Would you like to read off some of those responses? It's the most recent tweet on our Twitter. Describe our podcast in one sentence as if you were describing it to a friend who doesn't listen. We'll read them off on a future episode. 
says two beautiful babes talk about stuff any normal person wouldn't be able to sleep at night to but the haunted fans are not normal so we chill <laughs> through the chaos because we all haunted oh wow I hey like that. a podcast that explores worldwide myths legends forgotten history and lost treasure as told by two very altruistic women whoa wait i love like forgotten history like we're just gonna say that like this is history that people forgot about like it definitely <laughs> happened two girls that can make a shitty situation so awesome that you wish to experience it as well plus you're awakening your inner child while listening to mysterious and weird stories like having a slumber party all over again p.s love you oh that one's really nice two women a supernatural podcast and the occasional dick joke i love it (laughs) horse girl and farm girl talk intellectually about hauntings and cryptids also true my moms read me scary stories before bed. Yeah, we can be your moms. Yeah, I'm your mom. It's this spooky paranormal slash conspiracy podcast by these two hilarious girls from LA that are obsessed with treasure and cryptids, and they make a lot of Nick Cage and Liam Neeson jokes. <laughs> Look, I know it's weird, but just give it a chance. It's really funny and spooky yet informative. I promise you'll like it. <laughs> I do this whenever someone asks about my pop socket. I usually go with, quote, a really cool paranormal true crime podcast run by two awesome slash funny women, unquote. Two rambunctious gals trying to understand a topic with little understanding, but in a fun way. (laughs) Wait, that's perfect. It's so, yeah, like two girls trying to understand something with little understanding. Um, Your new addiction created by two women who have never seen a ghost but are haunted as (laughs) F. Wow, those were all so hilarious. Yeah, those were great, you guys. (laughs) Those were great. I can't put it in any better words than that, but I'm going to try. So if this is your first time listening to a Let's Get Haunted episode and you want to know what to expect, I would say that we think pretty much everything is haunted, right? Like it could be like you got really drunk and you did some stupid shit that's haunted right like a ghost possessed you temporarily while you were drunk also could be science science is haunted as fuck like are you telling me that we're just like on a rock in the middle of no don't a don't. vast expanse of nothingness and that nothingness is constantly expanding that's scaring me. it's infinite don't. haunted right but it's haunted right and so If you see the name of our podcast and it says, let's get haunted, you might think that we're only talking about ghost stories. And while we do talk about ghost stories, that is not the only thing we talk about. We have also talked about going to the moon. That's pretty haunted. Right. We've talked about Russian cosmonauts. MK Ultra. MK Ultra. We've talked about government conspiracies. We've talked about uh, Mothman. Yeah. Folklore. We've talked about old women's whispering in your ear at night. (laughs) Yeah, and we've talked about the only case in U.S. history where the testimony of a ghost was used at trial. Right. We've talked about getting off the grid. We've talked about um, finding gold. Yep. So haunting can be haunting can be a good thing like finding gold to me is haunted because it's like it's not on that line right it's not on that like normal thing like it's haunted like ooh, like we i'm getting all this energy something's happening yeah it's it's like anything outside of your normal routine that happens to you spontaneously is haunted (laughs) (laughs) anything outside of your normal routine is haunted that's what it is like people 
I'm sure like all the other paranormal podcasts like really hate us because they're like, oh my God, they say like anything is haunted. Like they're ruining the industry. But, well, you know, we're just making them. it more inclusive. Yeah. You can, you think you're not haunted because you've never seen a ghost. Guess what? We've never seen a ghost. And like that person said, we're haunted as fuck. Are we the most haunted people in the world? I don't know. It's up there. Probably. I smashed my foot. And then dropped a Red Bull on it, a full Red Bull. And then I cut my finger while I was slicing Swiss chard. And this all happened within 24 hours. What's Swiss chard? Is that like Charizard? It looks like spinach. It's like spinach, but bit more bitter. Bitterer? More bitter? Wow, you've really branched out. Because like I feel like I eat exact same foods that I ate six years ago. And like that's it. Like There gets to a certain cap. Like, I don't learn more food. Yeah, but I branched out and I sliced part of my finger. So haunted. Again, anything outside of your normal routine, haunted. It leads to haunted shit. Right. It was haunted. And it doesn't have to be a negative haunting. If you remember the episode where I wrestled my credit card back from a homeless woman. Guess what? That was positive. I got my credit card back. Who could who could ever forget that? Who could fucking ever forget that? Like Natalia found a possum and nursed it back to health. That's haunted. It doesn't mean it's negative. It's just haunted. Right. Yeah. We transcend all fucking barriers. You know what? Actually, I'm mad at everyone for answering that. It should be like unanswerable. <laughs> yeah. It's like ambiguous. It's whatever you want it to mean. That's what it means. Right. So, Natalia, that brings me to what our story is about this week. What is it about this week? So, it's been called the official app of the summer, the official app of Gen Z, and the official app of TikTok. That's right. TikTok? Today, we're discussing Randonautica. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. Randonautica. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, okay, cool. Finally. Yes. Okay. We've been getting requests all summer for us to cover this. Natalia, have you ever heard of Randonautica? Yes. I know what Randonautica is and I even downloaded it once, but I like couldn't use it because so it got, it was like right when it had gotten like blow up on TikTok and they literally had so many people trying to use it that like the servers were busted so you couldn't use it. But basically it's an app where you, uh, like I'm not 100% sure what the point of it is but basically like it's an app and you can like use it to take you on like a random adventure somewhere to like find out something that you need to see or something that you didn't know it like takes you on adventures right like yes it like gives you coordinates to go to a place and then you go there and you're supposed to be there exactly okay so for anyone who is unaware or who is aware but hasn't downloaded the app or hasn't tried it yet I'll give some background Randonautica is an app for smartphones that was released in April of this year. It's actually been around since 2019, but it was in like the early stages. So only people who had like a direct download link could use it. Um, And it became available to the wider public this summer. But a lot of people don't know this. The app is technically still in its beta phase. So it's still in an experimental phase and they're constantly changing things all the time in response to people's feedback. Simply put, the app uses a random number generator to give users a set of specific GPS coordinates within a certain radius of their location. The purpose of the app is to get people out of their homes and exploring their environments. The act of using the app is called randonauting and its users are called randonauts. Now, if you go to their website, randonautica.com, they describe themselves as, quote, 
the world's first quantumly generated choose-your-own-adventure reality game. And they also write on their website, quote, the Randonautica app puts the user in the director's chair of an adventure story yet to be written. By using the app, the user can break from their mundane day-to-day and take a journey of randomness into the world around them. Your mind is your guide as you observe and view the world differently. Traveling into the unknown is a journey like no other. Break out of your reality tunnel, recalibrate your mind, and have fun on an adventure into the world you never knew existed. Yeah, that sounds sick as fuck. Let's do it. Let's quit the podcast. Let's just go do that. We'll just that. go randonauting every day forever. I mean... Yeah. I mean, ba- it sounds like basically they found a way to like just... M- I get everyone out having fun and it's free like it's honestly such a good idea yes you know? definitely it's basically like we'll give you a random location i mean as long as they don't send you to like an alligator you know <laughs> farm or something yeah as long as they yeah, don't send you off a they cliff don't send you yeah then like i think it's good is there anything to keep you from getting sent off a cliff they are giving you a randomly generated set of GPS coordinates to visit. So sometimes that random set of GPS coordinates. It could be like the middle of the ocean. Yeah, it could be It could be like the middle of an intersection. And obviously you wouldn't want to st- go to the middle of a busy intersection and go randonauting. Like that doesn't make any sense. This is my destiny to get hit by this car right now. Yeah, right? I guess. Like, So on their website, it says if it sends you to a dangerous location, like be smart, don't be stupid. And don't go there because it's not it doesn't know where it's sending you in advance. That's the whole purpose of randomness. Whereas Pokemon Go has all these set locations around your radius that are generating Pokemon. It's not like that for Randonautica. It's just giving you random coordinates. So you might go somewhere and it might be in the middle of a lake. Obviously, you're probably not going to be able to get to the middle of a lake. So then you try again. I'll get there. Yeah, you'll get there. But and the average person might not get there. I'll fucking Liam Neeson. If Randonautica sends me to the top of Mount Everest, I will go there and I will talk to the ghosts that live on Mount Everest, as we have discussed in this highly educational podcast. That's right. If you don't know what we're talking about, listen to the first episode of the second season of LGH. I don't remember what number episode it was, but it was good and people enjoyed it. And it was about Mount Everest and it was educational. <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay, so there's a lot of stuff to unpack about Randonautica and how it works. And I think a lot of people aren't neurotic like I am. But when I was learning about the app, I just kept going, but how? Like, how does it generate random numbers? Like, how does it... Algorithm. But what is the algorithm? Like, where do they get it from? Like, I just kept like spiraling being like, but how, but how, but how? And so I wanted to start by explaining how the app interface works before I get into the philosophy and science behind the app. So now I'm going to play a YouTube video for you that Randonautica put out on their YouTube channel, which is called Ready or Randonaut. The title of the video is How To Using the Randonautica App. Hey, what's up? This is Auburn from Radio Randonaut. I just wanted to take a minute to give you a tutorial on how to use the Randonautica app for iOS. Once you download the app, you're going to make sure that you have your GPS enabled. The next thing you're gonna wanna do is go through the terms and conditions. You'll also set your radius. Once you're done with the initial setup, you'll send the app your location. Once the app has your location, it will ask you what type of quantum point you'd like to get. You're going to be engaging a quantum random number generator to deliver a truly randomized location to travel to. The quantum process is looking for anomalies, which can be either an attractor 
which is the center of the highest cluster of quantum dots, or a void, which is the center of the least presence of quantum dots. You can also choose an anomaly, which is going to deliver the strongest of those two different options. At this point, you're gonna to wanna to set an intention. Setting your intention can be done with visualization or focus, but the idea is to try to set the theme for what the journey ahead will bring. For instance, you may set the intention of love or peace, or maybe you're looking to break a creative block and you set your intentions for creativity so that you can open your mind on your journey to your random point. Now is a good time in the process to settle on your intention because what comes next is your entropy source. ANU is the main source, which is the quantum random number generator at the Australian National University. Literally a quantum laser in a vacuum. This is serious stuff, right? Once you've selected ANU, the quantum process will begin. If you don't get an anomaly on your first try, it's because an anomaly is only an anomaly if the cluster of random points is statistically improbable. You can try again until Randonautica provides you with a truly quantumly random point. When you do have your quantum point, you'll see certain information and it might look a little technical and that's because it really is. You're gonna see Z-score and power score among other things and that's information to help show how statistically improbable your point is. And when you finally have your quantum point, you can open it up in your maps and then you're off on your journey into the unknown. So head out with an open mind and wide eyes and travel into the world you never knew existed. Happy random nodding. Okay, so that was their explanation of how their app works. Did you understand any of that? The app, okay, so it's an app where you like, uh, you like pick, I actually don't, what is it? <laughs> okay, yeah, so the reaction you're having is the exact path that I went down because I started this off trying to figure out, okay, what is this app? Then I figured out like what the app is. So then I was trying to figure out how does it work? And I came across that YouTube video and I came away from it more confused than ever. So at that point, I reached out to Joshua Langfelder, who is the CEO of Randonautica. And I'm gonna play that interview for you in just a minute. But first I wanna talk to you about the philosophy behind the app because in the questions that I ask him in the interview I'm gonna play for you, I ask him about some of the philosophy behind the app and so I don't want you to be confused. So let me explain to you first briefly the explanation as I understand it to be of how the app works and then I'm gonna talk a little bit about the philosophy behind the app. There are so many conspiracy theories surrounding Rananautica and that's why I originally started looking into it. For example, when you Google it, a lot of people online think that Randonautica is run by Russian scientists or people that are dabbling in the occult or people that are using the dark web to send children to dangerous locations um, or I How know would it like work for that it's random so you just you capture the children and then you're like okay like I just spent so much time trying to get these children and now I'm just gonna choose a random generator to put them places what well the the reason why people were um kind of starting these rumors or conspiracy theories about the app is because nobody from the company was really doing PR about it at first. 
like in a very public way, like nobody was really talking about like, this is how it works or this is how it's done. So because when you open the app, it looks like the matrix. It's like a bunch of different like <laughs> graphics of like, it's very like rudimentary looking. Right. And then people were having so many. Bad. Well, and people were having so many weird experiences with it. Right. Like so, somebody said, oh, uh, I want to find a dog and then it leads them to a dog and it's mm -hmm. like oh shit like that's crazy how did that happen and so people were saying well it must be that the dark web is being used and satellites are being yeah. used and it's spying on you and it's finding things in your area because everyone always goes to like worst case scenario i think that's kind of interesting that like it just shows you how modern branding has just brainwashed everyone you know it's like oh if i'm using an app that's not like super well branded where like all the buttons and all of the font and everything matches and goes together and like looks like the logo if it was an app you know then like it must be haunted yeah <laughs> they're like yeah they can't afford a good graphic designer or a art director haunted <laughs> and then another rumor about randonautica that i saw is that it's out to break the simulation and i'm going to talk about that a little bit at the end but basically like when you're reading all of that stuff like oh it's russian scientists or people practicing the occult or people using the dark web to kidnap people that sounds like really fucking haunted it right not good yeah yeah so i started looking into the app and then quickly realized like none of that stuff is true and the app is actually based on some really interesting scientific theories and concepts which to me is just as haunted but in like a really cool way right yeah well if something's haunted and then you find out that actually it's like scientifically haunted, then it kind of gives it more credibility because it's like, wait, you're telling me that just the way that the world works like naturally is haunted? Yes, totally. Okay. So even though it's not like run by Russian scientists and the mob or whatever, it's still really haunted. It's just haunted in a super cool way where you're like, whoa, I didn't know that that was a scientific theory that exists. Right. So th the main concepts that this app is based on uh, are psychogeography, chaos <laughs> theory, synchronicity, shamanism, and mind matter interaction. Have you ever heard of any of those five things? Well, let me just take a crack at what psychogeography is. Is it like... Okay, take a crack at it. Is it like a mountain runs as fast as it can into another mountain and then creates like a giant volcano? No, but that's really tight. Right. Okay, let's see. Is it just like um, a plateau like texting its ex at 4 a.m. in the morning? <laughs> like what that's, the fuck yeah. is psychogeography? <laughs> So, okay, it's actually kind of, it started off as like an art movement in the 50s, but now it's kind of transformed into almost like a political theory. So according to tate.org.uk, psychogeography describes the effect of geographical locations on the emotions and behaviors of inv individuals. So the term psychogeography was invented by the Marxist theorist Guy Debord in 1955 in order to explore the question, how do different places make us feel and behave? Inspired by the French 19th century poet and writer Charles Baudelaire's concept of the flaneur, an urban wanderer, Debord suggests playful and inventive ways of navigating the urban environment in order to examine its architecture and spaces. 
As a founding member of the avant-garde movement Situationist International, an international movement of artists, writers, and poets who aim to break down the barriers between culture and everyday life, Debord wanted a revolutionary approach to architecture that was less functional and more open to exploration. The reimagining of the city proposed by psychogeography has its roots in Dadaism and Surrealism, art movements which explored ways of unleashing the subconscious imagination. Author Paul Walsh writes of psychogeography, The Situationists used maps, making alterations to them in order to help instigate unpredictable trajectories. Debord himself produced a map in 1957 under the title The Naked City. The plan of Paris is cut up and divided into 19 sections that are randomly placed back together. The users of the map choose their own route through the city by using a series of arrows that link parts of the city together. Other experiments with maps existed, including one undertaken by a friend of Debord who wandered through a region of Germany whilst following directions from a map of London. The Situationists encompassed other intellectual devices into their walks. For example, when they were maneuvering within the landscape, they would try to be aware of how their surroundings could be used to draw them towards the past. Cities were seen as historical landscapes whose structure and appearances were shaped by temporal events that were buried but never completely erased. The Situationist notion of psychogeography managed to draw attention to the importance of maintaining a link with the city's historical past and entice many to explore the city with a new perspective. So basically, psychogeographists or these people that were part of Situationist International, they didn't like that the way cities are designed is purposeful. Like, they didn't like that cities are often designed with efficiency in mind. Yeah, you know what? I, you're telling me about this psychogeography, and they're basically saying, like, oh, we're trying to figure out how, like, different locations react with people's emotions. And the first thing I thought of was, like, oh, this is the original Vibers, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, they're just creating vibes. They're like, okay, like, you know, like, you go to a certain place, and it's just a good vibe or a bad vibe. Like, you can't describe why. Right. But then they gave it that name, psychogeography. Right. When really, it's just vibe, the study of vibes. And and they even went one step deeper, and they were like, this place has a good vibe or a bad vibe. Why? They really didn't like that when you're walking through a city, it's designed to get you from point A to point B in the most efficient way possible this is just the capitalist agenda that only thinks about point a to point b efficiency there's no room for artistry of travel anymore Alyssa. you're joking but that's literally what they thought <laughs> like they right. they thought that geography of a city or city planning was a product of capitalism which it is it's like you walk on a sidewalk and it, it's set up in a way for you to maybe like visit the most amount of shops on that street, right? Like it's made in a way right. to like get you to participate to in get society. You from your car. Yeah, it's made from a way to get you out of nature as soon as possible, basically. So one of the ways that they decided, hey, fuck this, we're going to figure out how to make wandering through a city less of a capitalist experience and more of like an artful experience is they would do these cool things or I thought it was cool, where like, for example, they're in a city in Germany, but instead of using a German map, they're using a map of Paris. So they're following yeah. instructions that are meant for a different city to get around another city. So that way they're seeing things that they wouldn't normally see. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's tight as fuck. 
that reminds me of like just you know studying for a test with a different syllabus yeah that probably like i would fail for sure but right that's just that's what i mean though that's the capitalist agenda it's like you go to school you show that you can show up on time and like finish the work and the way that it's decided and then whoever's the best at following the rules gets the best job gets you know what i mean and they're just like no we're talking about exploring ourselves. You know right? what? Yeah, actually, you're totally right. I hadn't thought of that before. But instead of like the purpose of school is to pass tests, right? A lot of the time it's not even like right. to learn anything. It's just to like, yeah, no, it, it pass literally is just to show who who can like perform in the way that you're supposed to for like a corporation yeah I read this like whole thing about it and they were talking about because you know like we've known for a long time that like everyone learns differently and some people do better with testing and some people like are not very good test takers and yeah it was just talking about how like tests is tests show that like you can complete a task in a set amount of time in like the way that it's supposed to be done you know like because yeah. we're basically just like regurgitating information um, but that's for a different podcast. But it's, it is relevant, though. You're right, because I think back to a lot of the classes that I did the best in, like the classes I got A's in, and I done, a lot of that information I didn't even retain, you know, because it's right. just like, shit, got to cram the night before a test to figure out the stuff that's on the test and how they want it to be answered and then answer it that way. There's no room really for creativity in a lot of learning, and in the same way that there's not really any room for creativity when you're walking down a street. So they were trying to like, they were trying to take the act of walking down a street or exploring a city or going sightseeing and they were trying to make it in more interesting and creative. So instead of just going to a monument in a city, you're wandering through in a different roundabout way to get to that monument. And then you're seeing stuff you wouldn't normally see. I can just imagine like two people, like a couple going to Europe and one of them is doing this psychogeography thing where they just like, you know, are like, let's just like read this map from a different country and see where it takes us. And then the other one is just like the super hungry, pissed off girl who's just like, I'm tired <laughs> of walking and I want to fucking sit down at a cafe in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> and my husband is a fucking asshole. Why are we in a sewer right now? And that would be me. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That would be like me and you exploring a city. Okay, so so I'm going to read you an excerpt from an article entitled Psychogeography, A Way to Delve into the Soul of a City, written by Siobhan Lyons, published on theconversationalist.com. And she writes, Psychogeography, as the term suggests, is the intersection of psychology and geography. It focuses on our psychological experiences of the city and reveals or illuminates forgotten, discarded, or marginalized aspects of the urban environment. Psychogeographers advocate the act of becoming lost in the city. This is done through the derive or drift. Because purposeful walking has an agenda, we do not adequately absorb certain aspects of the urban world. This is why the drift is essential to psychogeography. It better connects walkers to the city. Psychogeographers idolized the flaneur, a figure conceived in 19th century France by Charles Baudelaire and popularized in academia by Walter Benjamin in the 20th century. A romantic stroller, the flaneur wanders about the city with no clear purpose other than to wander. In his 2013 Paris Review article in praise of the flaneur, 
Bijan Stephen observed that the use of the flaneur as a vehicle for the examination of the conditions of modernity fell out in favor in the ensuing decades. Stephen poses the question, but as we grow inexorably busier, due in large part to the influence of technology, might flaneur be due for a revival? So basically, you can see how Randonautica is using this concept because yeah. much like this this author said in 2013, as we use more and more technology and become more and more efficient, we lose the desire to wander a lot of the time. But what if we use technology to wander? To and then Randonautica took that a step further and was like, yeah, let's just start sending people to random points that they wouldn't normally go to so that they can wander and explore their city. I love it. It's like, you know, improv for walking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they took that concept of psychogeography and then they com combined it with chaos theory. Do you know what chaos theory is? Uh, yeah, it's how I have sex. <laughs> Don't make chaos. How? I'm sorry, but like, like just the fucking name chaos theory is like already. What is it called when the, it's like an oxymoron, right? Yeah, so you're you're saying that chaos theory is a paradox, right? Like, how can you have a theory about chaos when chaos is chaotic? It's by very, it's, yeah. yeah, by its very nature, it literally can't be described. Right. You know? So I was confused about it as well. So I did what I always do, which is go to Reddit. And I, <laughs> I went to my favorite subreddit, which is r slash ELI5, which stands for explain like explain I'm five. Explain like I'm five. Yeah. Yeah. I know I like that one. Yeah. So somebody had asked, ex like, explain to me chaos theory like I'm five. So this perfect. person, yeah, perfect. This person answered and I would shout them out, but they deleted their account. So it just says you slash deleted, but they did a really wow, good they job. they were so embarrassed about this. <laughs> no, they got like hella upvotes. So this this person answered and said, chaos theory is essentially just the idea that very small changes in the initial conditions can lead to large differences in outcome, especially in the long run. The butterfly mm. effect is just one example of chaos theory in which it is supposed that the butterfly beating its wings at the right moment could be enough of a change in initial conditions to tip the balance in favor of a hurricane forming on the other side of the world. What chaos theory isn't about is randomness. Chaos systems or chaotic systems can be completely 100% deterministic, but the problem is our ability to know the exact starting conditions, and thus we can't make accurate predictions. So chaos okay. theory basically says that everything you do is not random because what you do directly causes something. That concept was taken and applied to Randonautica because... Yes, you're going to a random point, but if we believe that you are your intention has something to do with that random point, then it's not really random. Because, right, because you were supposed to go came there. From, yeah, your intention comes your intention your intention comes from like a lifelong uh journey of, you know, making choices and learning cuz just you having an opinion to make a an intention has to have been caused by like, you know, a series of unfortunate events in your life, probably. <laughs> and also, like, you are using the app. You're making the choice to use the app. So it's not random right. that you're going somewhere. The point is random, but the journey is not random. You've made the decision to go there. Right. So the Randonautica name is kind of a misnomer. 
Well, it is and it's not. It Because I'm going to explain the other two things, the other two, the last concepts that they used for um, for this okay. app. So I've already explained psychogeography and uh, chaos theory. Now, the next one is synchronicity. And synchronicity is defined as the simultaneous occurrence of events which appear significantly related but have no discernible causal connection. According to Wikipedia, synchronicity is a concept first introduced by analytical psychologist Carl Jung, which holds that events are, quote, meaningful coincidences if they occur with no causal relationship, yet seem to be meaningfully related. During his career, Jung furnished several different definitions of the term, defining synchronicity as an, quote, a causal connecting togetherness principle, a, quote, meaningful coincidence, a, quote, a causal parallelism and as a quote meaningful coincidence of two or more events where something other than the probability of chance is involved jung's belief was that just as events may be connected by causality they may also be connected by meaning events connected by meaning need not have an explanation in terms of causality which does not generally contradict the axiom of causality but in specific cases can lead to prematurely giving up causal explanation through introducing the concept as early as the 1920s jung gave a full statement of it only in 1951 in an Arenos lecture in 1952, Jung published a paper titled Synchronicity, an A-Causal Connecting Principle, in a volume which also contained a related study by the physicist and Nobel laureate Wolfgang Pauli, who was sometimes critical of Jung's ideas. Jung used the concept in arguing for the existence of the paranormal. Also a believer in the paranormal, Arthur Kostel wrote extensively on synchronicity in his 1972 book, The Roots of Coincidence. Moreover, considering that multiple synchronistic experiences contribute to the early formation of schizophrenic delusions, distinguishing which of these synchronicities are morbid, according to Jung, is a matter of interpretation. As it is neither testable or falsifiable, synchronicity is considered pseudoscience. Mainstream science explains synchronicity as mere coincidence, which can be described by law of statistics and confirmation bias. So synchronicity is basically the opposite of saying, oh, I went to this location that Randonautica generated and I saw something like I saw a deer and my intention was a deer. And isn't that a cool coincidence? Synchronicity is the opposite of that. It says the mere fact that you thought that and then you saw it, it's not just enough to say that it's a coincidence. There's a meaning behind that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I like that. Yeah. That's like, you know, like dreams. Like I always think there's something about it, right? Or like right. anytime something crazy happens, I'm like, why do I have a stalker? I'm like, oh, I caused this. And yeah, and yeah. <laughs> and the... Right, like why yeah. did someone break up with me me yeah <laughs> okay so so basically he used this concept to say that like the paranormal is real like there's stuff that we can't explain Checks but out. but just because we can't explain it doesn't mean that it's not real so like right. yeah i thought um, i set my intention as um i wanted to see like a demon and then i went to a graveyard and it, like it and it took me to a headstone that had the guy's last name was demon for you know what I mean like that mm. that could you could just say well that's a coincidence or you know based on the law of statistics of course at some point I would have to have one of these coincidences happen because I've used the app so many times but the theory of synchronicity is that no it's not a coincidence there's no, coincidence. there's no coincidences 
I love that. I yeah. like that so much. Me too. Wow. It, if you're listening to this right now, this is not a coincidence. You need to buy some of our merch. You are yes. meant to do that at this moment right now. Natalia, where can they buy our merch? Let'sgethaunted.com. You are meant to go to let'sgethaunted.com. You are also meant to go to all of our social media and engage with us <laughs> on there. It's part of your journey. It's it not is. a coincidence. Okay, so, so far we've talked about psychogeography, chaos theory, and synchronicity. And synchronicity. Now we have the last two. So I was like, I don't really know much about shamanism. I was thinking that that was more of like a cultural thing. So I was like, how could you take something like cultural to indigenous people? And I'm like, yeah. But like, that's like saying Christmas is like a science theory. Yeah, exactly. So I just didn't really understand. So according to shamanicjourney.com, Shamanism <laughs> So sh- shamanism is is about being connected with nature, understanding that we are earth-based and the real and living knowledge which is then used for balance, health, relationship as well as success in all that we do. By understanding the word shamanism, we would know that it is one of the oldest tribal healing traditions of indigenous people, which can be found in many different cultures worldwide. As well as many other methods, the one thing they have in common is communication and interaction with the spirit world. It is the oldest Mm. way in which the human race has sought connection with the creation. Shamanism is the path to knowledge, which is gained through experience of many aspects of life, such as rituals, ceremonies, prayer, meditation, trials, and tests. It is the practice or discipline of interconnectedness with unlimited potential, which can create a total transformation of self. Healing is the most important function in shamanism, along with prophecy, as well as addressing the condition of the soul for healing to occur in the first place. There are many places all over the world where the spirit world merges with the physical world. These two worlds are in close contact with each other. Some of them are personal, some are secretive, and some are very well-known power spots, such as Stonehenge in England, Skellig Islands off the Irish coast, Serpent Mountain in southern Ohio, and the Black Hills in South Dakota. Whether ancient or modern, human spirit, ordinary people, we are attracted to locations where we notice energy, greater power, and spiritual force. And as we are all aware, we feel the longing, wanting to be back to experience from them. This is like, this website is so janky. From them again and again, (laughs) the physical sensations of transformation, energizing presence of magical and visible powers. These realms where eternity meets with the temporal world, the place where we know where to be more to the universe than we perceive with our physical senses. Okay, so basically going, have you ever heard someone talk about like going on a shamanic journey where like Chelsea Handler takes ayahuasca and then like has an experience that transforms her? Yeah, no, like my only experience with shamanism is hearing people talk about how like it helped them find themselves when they were like violently throwing up in a circle of eight people after they paid like $1,500 to some random like 38 year old white man with his head shaved wearing like a white <laughs> linen robe. 
<laughs> and then they like, you're like, you have to fucking try it. Start saving now. It will cost you $15,000. But um, go to the website, going to Stonehenge with my shaman.com. There's tons, <laughs> there's tons of information there for you. Right. So, <laughs> the, right. So shamanism is either, is either like a very respected, like indigenous tradition of connecting with the creator or it's like this new age like people going bullshit bullshit yeah Yeah. okay so that's why i was confused like how could shamanism be like taken and applied to this app but after reading about the theory of a shamanic is the shaman yeah it's like you yourself are going on a mini shamanic journey that requires no drugs no hallucinations no like performative bullshit yeah no no money it's free it's accessible to everyone and it's inclusive it's inclusive you're setting an intention which is basically like meditating on a thought or idea that should be positive Mm -hmm. then you do the derive or you wander throughout your city in a way that you wouldn't normally to experience the city in a new light that has no purpose and then you get to the randomly generated point and you're supposed to have an experience that affects you in a positive way I really like this you know it's kind of like taking the idea of like a hike you know but like giving it a very uh, like metamorphosis aspect to it like oh I'm gonna go on this hike but it's not just a hike it's like this journey yeah it's it's cool yeah I think so too and it's more like artful and philosophical because when I go on hikes my purpose is to lose weight right so I'm like (laughs) I start at the bottom of a mountain I go up to the top and then I come back down to where I parked my car like that is that is not randonauting like randonauting is where you have like no artful yes there's no mission Okay, so now the very last concept that I'm going to talk to you about is mind-matter interaction, or MMI, which is the hypothesis that the human mind can influence the matter around them. And this is like the heaviest out of all the concepts. I feel like some of the stuff we talked about is more like artsy, fartsy, or like froofy. Like this one is actually like a scientific theory that has been tested. So to explain this concept. How the fuck did they test this? Well, I am so glad you asked, Natalia, because mind-matter interaction was studied on a global scale by something called the Global Consciousness Project. According to the Global Consciousness Project's website, which you can find at noosphere.princeton.edu, the Global Consciousness Project is an international multidisciplinary collaboration of scientists and engineers. We collect data continuously from a global network of physical random number generators located in up to 70 host sites around the world at any given time. The data are transmitted to a central archive, which now contains more than 15 years of random data in parallel sequences of synchronized 200-bit trials generated every second. Our purpose is to examine subtle correlations that may reflect the presence and activity of consciousness in the world. We hypothesize that there will be structure in what should be random data associated with major global events that engage our minds and hearts. Subtle but real effects of consciousness are important scientifically, but their real power is more immediate. They encourage us to make essential, healthy changes in the great systems that dominate our world. Large-scale group consciousness has effects in the physical world. Knowing this, we can intentionally work toward a brighter, more conscious future. 
When human consciousness becomes coherent, the behavior of random systems may change. Random number generators based on quantum tunneling produce completely unpredictable sequences of zeros and ones. But when a great event synchronizes the feeling of millions of people, our network of RNGs becomes subtly structured. We calculate one in a trillion odds that the effect is due to chance. The evidence suggests an emerging no-sphere or the unifying field of consciousness described by sages in all cultures. So this project, which is funded by Princeton University, uh, has something called random number generators that are set up all over the world. These random number generators produce random numbers in binary code. So 1001001, for example, but completely randomly. So you can't predict what the next number is going to be. And they have found that sometimes these random number generators instead of producing random data, they start to produce predictable data. Now, how can that be possible when by their very nature, these generators are designed to be random? So I don't wanna give away too much information because to explain this concept, I was able to get a hold of one of the foremost experts in this area of study, Dr. Dean Radin. And to introduce him to you and our audience, Natalia, have you ever heard of Project Stargate? That's a real project? I thought that was a movie. Stargate? Stargate? Okay. Have you ever heard of Men That Stare at Goats, the movie? The Men That Stare at yeah. Goats? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was about how the CIA was conducting experiments to see if like, psychic powers were real, like telekinesis. Right. That was real. That's a, That movie is based on a real thing that the CIA did. So Project Stargate was a top secret project carried out by the CIA between the late 70s and the mid 90s. According to Wikipedia, Stargate Project was the 1991 codename for a secret U.S. Army unit established in 1978 at Fort Meade, Maryland by the Defense Intelligence Agency and SRI International, a California contractor, to investigate the potential for psychic phenomena in military and domestic intelligence applications. The project and its precursors and sister projects originally went by various code names such as Gondola Wish, Grill Flame, Center Lane, Sunstreak, Sunstreak, and Scan Scanate. Until 1991, when they were consolidated and rechristened, rechristened as Stargate Project. Stargate Project work primarily involved remote viewing, the purported ability to psychically see events, sites, or information from a great distance. The project was overseen until 1987 by Lieutenant Frederick Holmes Atwater, an aide and psychic headhunter to Major General Albert Stubelbein and later president of the Monroe Institute. The unit was small scale, comprising about 15 to 20 individuals and was run out of an old and leaky wooden barracks. The Stargate project was terminated and declassified in 1995 after a CIA report concluded that it was not useful in any intelligence operation. The program was featured in the 2004 book and 2009 film, both titled The Men Who Stare at Goats. On August 8, 2000, some of the documents associated with Stargate were declassified by the CIA, and you can actually read them at CIA.gov. So why am I telling you all of this? I am telling you all of this because Dean Radin, the scientist who I interviewed for this episode, worked on Project Stargate. And I asked him about it, and I talked to him about it, and then I talked to him about mind-matter interaction and Randonautica. And I'm super stoked to have even gotten the chance to speak to him. He's so smart, and he was so nice. 
uh, and he was very gracious. And so to all of our listeners, definitely go follow him on social media and thank him or tell him how much you appreciated hearing him on the episode, because the very next thing you're going to hear is my interview with Dean Radin. Oh, my God. That's so cool, Alyssa. Wow. Wow. How will I follow this? You guys, this next episode that I do is going to be ass. <laughs> no, but here's the thing is that there I feel like our audience, some people like this kind of shit and then other people hate it. Like some people just want to hear about a haunted house and like have a dope ass oh, right. time. And then other people are like, yeah, tell me about. You're like... making me learn some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so like um, I did not consent to learning new information. Right. Exactly. Fuck? Zero stars. <laughs> I know, right? I'm I'm kind of apprehensive about even uploading this because it's going to be such a long episode with so much information in it. But I thought it was interesting and I thought it was worth investigating. So that's why this episode's a little different than our normal episodes. But the very next thing you're going to hear, listeners, is my interview with Dean Radin. This interview was conducted on Zoom, so the audio quality is going to sound a little bit different, but I hope that you can hear everything that we're saying. And here we go. We are so excited to have you on the show today and to pick your brain a little bit about um, the Global Consciousness Project, Mind Matter Interaction, um, Psy. And before I start with the questions, I wanted to give a little bit of background about you for our audience. So Dr. Dean Radin is a chief scientist at the Institute of Noetic Science and associated distinguished professor of integral and transpersonal psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies. He has worked with the research staff at Princeton University's Hare Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab, and advanced R&D at Bell Labs, and at SRI International on Stargate, the U.S. government's top secret psychic espionage program. He's also given invited talks at DARPA, the U.S. Navy's Strategic Studies Group, and the Army Special Operations Command. He is author or co-author of hundreds of scientific, technical, and popular articles, four dozen book chapters, and four popular books, including the Scientific and Medical Network's 1997 Book Award, The Conscious Universe, Entangled Minds, a 2014 Silver Nautilus Book Award, Supernormal, and your most recent book, I believe, is Real Magic. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Awesome. And from when I was researching about you, um, I saw that you've spent around four decades researching something called psi phenomenon. Is that accurate? And if so, can you explain to our audience what psi is? Psi is the word P-S-I, all in lowercase. It is uh, the first letter of the Greek word in Greek, psyche, which is a word for mind or soul. And so the, the word was selected as a placeholder, essentially, or a pointer to any kind of psychic phenomenon. So things like telepathy, clairvoyance, precognition, and so on, they're all contained under the umbrella of that one word psi, because it's a lot shorter than having to keep saying psychic or parapsychological. It just has, it's just always good to use one syllable if you can get away with it. I completely understand that. So is psi and parapsychological, like you said, is that interchangeable? And could you define what parapsychology is for us? Because I've seen you listed as a parapsychologist on your website. Right. So parapsychology, anything that ends in ology means the study of. So parapsychology is the study of phenomena which are in the vernacular called psychic. So psi is just a, a, a short term for that points to the same 
phenomena. And so sometimes I refer to what I do as psi research, even though that's the same as parapsychological research. And then when you speak about psi research and psi ability, in your opinion, do you think that um, psi ability is something that only a select few can tap into? Or do you think it's something that everyone has the ability to experience? What are your thoughts on that? Everyone has the ability, but only to the same extent that everyone can play tennis. Some people are way better than others. Some people who are not particularly talented can take every lesson in the world and practice constantly and still not be very good at it. Whereas others who do have a natural talent can learn a little bit and get very good very quickly. So every form of talent, whether it's music or sports or whatever, uh, you find this across the board. Just people have natural inclinations. And the same is true for Psy. Some people are extremely good at telepathy and clairvoyance and other phenomena and others simply aren't. And we've talked before on this podcast about, um, we went into Japanese folklore and Japanese belief in the supernatural and um, psi ability, which they refer to as reikon or sixth sense. And in that culture, it is the belief that you are either born with it or you're not. In the example of someone who's good at tennis, could be naturally good at tennis, do you think that psi ability is something people can practice to get better at? Or is it more of a natural born talent? And some people are born with it, some people have like a limited ability with it, and no matter how much they practice, they're not gonna get better. Well, again, it's exactly the same as tennis, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't know exactly where a talent comes from. So some components are genetic, we know, for example, that there's folklore in every culture in the world that some people are psychic who come from psychic families. The, the usual story is my mother, my grandmother, somebody along the line of people simply have that ability, which suggests that it's genetic. Uh, and, and that is same, the same is true for sports. I mean, it's not, not surprising that, uh, that we see that people who go into acting, for example, come from acting families partially because you go into what you know, but also that it, is, it requires a certain talent to be able to act or to play sports or to do anything. So it's no different in this domain. Okay. And what was the first Psy experiment that you ever conducted in your professional career? Uh, I was 14 and I was uh, interested in science and was learning how, to, how do you do any kind of experiment. So it was a precognition experiment where you, you can get a, a little device that has a spinner on it. Like I, I'll show you this. This is um, a little thing that has like an arrow on it and you can, you can spin it and then it's like a, an eight ball thing and it, it'll give you an answer. Oh. So I used something like that to uh, make a prediction about what number was gonna come up after you spin the arrow. And then, so I made the prediction, I spun it, I recorded the result and so on. So I did experiments like that, which was, before I actually knew how to do experiments. Mm -hmm. But I like the idea that for something as relatively subtle as, as a psychic phenomenon, especially since I, I didn't really have any spontaneous experiences like this, I was, I was attracted to the idea that there was a way that you could test yourself or test anyone. There's just like, you couldn't test this. You don't have to take it on faith. So that was when I was 14. But of course, later I learned how to do proper experiments. And I've been pretty much doing that for most of my career now. 
And is there one Psy experiment that kind of sticks out in your mind as being maybe the most impactful on you, whether in terms of research or just personal impact or something that sticks out in your mind that you witnessed or were a part of and you were like, wow, this is like really cool or this is really going to change the way I think about stuff? It wasn't so much an, ex an experiment, although I've done many. It's more that uh, when I was read into the classified program, the psychic espionage program, at that time, uh, people certainly knew about remote viewing. Remote viewing was just a euphemism selected for clairvoyance because it sounded more technical, but it's clairvoyance. So there were rumors about what the government was up to and some indications of maybe the level of talent of people who were working for that program. But eventually I was recruited for that program and, and uh, after got the, the clearance, I was given the briefing that's given to people who were read into the program. And that, that blew my mind because I had no idea that there were people who were so talented that they, they could uh, put their mind inside a, a closed safe at a distance where they had no idea where the thing actually even was and get level of detail like reading code words off of documents inside a closed safe. Oh, so wow. that, that was like way beyond what I thought was possible, but I was seeing examples of it in a classified environment where I, the information was not only real, but it was useful. It was useful for operational missions. And so after looking at all of that, it, it created kind of a, I mean, besides getting blown away by it, uh, I also then understood why, in some respects, these kinds of phenomena are downplayed as, as real. They're okay as fantasy, but not as real. And at least in that environment, it, it was useful to maintain that concept because a, a method, especially a classified method used by the intelligence world or the military, is way more effective if most people think it doesn't even exist. And so here I was working inside an environment where we're, we're dealing with these things all the time and trying to understand it better. And I leave the building and I'm back out into the, the everyday world where most people are saying this stuff is nonsense. It's just entertainment. Was it validating in a sense to be a part of that program to know that after maybe hearing like you're saying in your day-to-day -day life, you're talking to the average person, they might say, oh, that's not real, that it's not even worth thinking about it was it validating to then be a part of a program that was not only researching the validity of it but kind of going putting money into it you know like in a very tangible way believing that this is possible well not just believing but using mm -hmm. that's you know it's the pragmatics of a phenomenon that that make it real in today's world and it wasn't that uh, in the general public, most people believe in these things anyway, because a lot of people have these experiences, one, one form or another. It's mostly that among my scientific colleagues. So when you, you go through years of scientific training, you get this beaten out of you. The idea that there are special abilities of consciousness that, that are real. The only way you can think of it then is as fantasy. Mm -hmm. And it's, of course, saturates television shows and movies. And you get the idea, well, it's okay, it's a nice story but certainly is not real. Well, yeah, it is real. It's just not as elaborate or as powerful as, as portrayed in fiction, but it is still real. And so that, yeah, that, that was certainly an, an eye opener for me. And was that, um, I, I've seen some declassified documents. I know recently some of the 
um, experiments that were done with psychic abilities have been declassified. And I was reading one where um, an envelope was placed in front of a clairvoyant and they were told to um, transport themselves in, into that envelope, read the coordinates, and then tell the, the person observing what they saw. And it was coordinates for Mars or something like that. And it was set, up, you know, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years ago or a million years ago or something. And then the person was explaining what they saw. Was that part of this particular program? No, we only did experiments where the information that was received could be checked okay. to, make, to see that it was correct. And so there are lots of people are doing experiments on what happened in Mars a million years ago and what's going to happen a million years hence and all of that. And it's fun, but there's no way to check it. And That's so from a, from a pragmatic perspective, it's only fun at that point. Mm -hmm. And we were interested in, in real world pragmatic uses and not what's happening on Mars a million years ago. That makes sense. Um, and so what was your role then? Were you someone who was creating these experiments? Were you monitoring the, experience, the experiments? What, if you're allowed to talk about it, what was your role in this program? I was a visiting scientist for a year. Uh, I had left uh, Bell Laboratories on a leave of absence and then went back to Bell Labs afterwards. Uh, so my role was uh, running experiments and assisting in all kinds of different things and experiments that were already underway. Uh, and part of, in fact, a large part of what we were doing is called threat assessment, where we, we were doing our own things. And of course, since we were using these phenomena, we figured that other countries probably were too. Mm -hmm. So we would get declassified uh, reports from other countries and sometimes mm, still classified, but we, we got them anyway. And so part of our job was then to read what other countries were doing and trying to make an assessment as whether or not it constituted a threat. Okay. And in some cases, we then would try to replicate results of experiments that other countries were doing as well. So that, that, was, part, that was a large part of it. And did you ever see an experiment that another country was doing and have a sort of reaction to it that was like, oh, wow, this is dangerous, or oh, wow, this is incredible, or was, did you feel like the U.S. was keeping pace with some of those experiments, or were we behind? I would say uh, we learned pretty quickly that we had nothing to fear. Okay. Largely because we and everyone else had no idea what was going on. We mm -hmm. knew the phenomena were real. We knew some people were talented and, could, and the information could be useful and no idea how it worked and yeah. nobody else knew either. Mm -hmm. So we, we didn't have anything to fear from a threat perspective, except that knowing that remote viewing was real and could not be blocked. We didn't know how to, how to prevent information from being seen uh, with, with some possible exceptions. But if you, if you imagine that the normal way you would block information is you put it in a safe and you put it in special places and so on, none of that works. And so the usual way of thinking about how do you how do you hide information, which is a big part of what goes on in the intelligence world, we didn't know how to do that. And it was pretty clear no one else knew how to do that either. So part of a of not really a research program, but more about thinking about what what things can be seen more easily with remote viewing versus not. And to make a long story short, if you want to hide something rather than shielding it, you just put something near it that is more attractive. Oh, 
So we use the, the concept of the psychic eye. So you can imagine the psychic eye can go anywhere in space or time. But some things are more interesting to the psychic eye. So if, if uh, I'm, I'm showing here like a, a little candy, uh, if you don't want anybody to know about this little candy, you put something next to it, which is much more interesting than candy, and then you, you won't see it by the same reason that when you go to a magic show, for example, you don't, you know, you're using misdirection to pull your eyes and attention away from the thing you don't want people to see. Okay. Well, something like that works in this domain as well. So where safes and locks fail, you can always put something more interesting next to the thing that you're hiding. And hopefully the psychic eye will be gravitating towards that thing and not even realize the part that you were trying to hide. Very much like a magic trick. You're mm -hmm. using uh, misdirection to pull the attention away. Oh, how yeah. interesting. And then um, I am really interested in the Global Consciousness Project. That's how I found you in the first place. And I was wondering if you could explain to our listeners what the Global Consciousness Project is. So for many years, to study the possibility that mind and matter interact directly, a device called a random number generator was used. And this is an electronic device that is the equivalent of a coin flipper. It just, it, it randomly is flipping zero, zeros and ones, not heads and tails, but zeros and ones. And there's a way you can make this thing so that the source of randomness is as close to fundamentally random as you can possibly get. It's electronic noise, but of a certain type so that it's called truly random. Truly random means that there's no way to predict what the next bit will be, a zero or a one. And so it's, these things produce thousands of bits per second, and you can record it all on a computer so you can get a very clear record of long-term uh, sequences of randomness. So in the laboratory, if you want to study whether somebody's intention can influence a physical device, lots of different kinds of physical targets have been used over the years. But this, this one, this random number generator, is particularly useful because it's designed by design to produce randomness in, in, uh, in what's called a maximum entropy condition. It is as random as you can possibly get. And once you have a system doing that, if you tell somebody then to mentally try to make this thing produce more ones mm -hmm. or more zeros, the moment that happens, you, you can detect it immediately because it's no longer operating randomly. So you use statistics to tell this, but if you get a whole string of ones in a row, you can see that immediately. And if that corresponds to your intention, you can say, oh, okay, well, the person must be influencing the device. So that kind of experiment has gone on for about 50 years we typically have one random number generator and one person and they mentally aim at it and you see re results. Small results, pretty weak, but they're there because you can see it statistically. So after many years of that, my colleague at, at uh, Princeton, uh, Roger Nelson, got the idea, maybe you don't need to mentally aim at a random number generator. Maybe what's going on is simply the act of attending to it. You direct your attention to something. So when you think about all of the different ways that your attention can go for in, in, just during the day or anywhere, you find that uh, most of the time your mind is wandering. You see this very clearly when you start to meditate, your mind wanders immediately, goes yes. all over the place. But if you're able to maintain a, uh, a moment of very tight awareness on something, you can think of that as a, a mentally, you're going from chaos into coherence, mm -hmm. right?
rather than thinking of everything, you're thinking of one thing. So that's a kind of order in the mental space. You're creating mental order. And so the thought was maybe mental order would be reflected in order appearing in this physical device, especially if it's also the object of your attention. So, so th this notion gave rise to the experiments that Roger started doing where he would take a random number generator and just put it in the vicinity of a group that was doing a meditation. So they weren't aiming mentally at the random generator, they were just meditating. Mm -hmm. And the idea was in the vicinity of mental coherence, you would find physical coherence. And he found, yes, that's what he was seeing. And then I started doing experiments like that as well and I found the same thing. So. We got the idea, um, maybe uh, the groups we were dealing with were generally like 10 people to maybe 100 or 200. But what happens if 100 million people are all paying attention to the same thing at the same time? Well, there wasn't any easy way of figuring it out because unless there was something planned in advance, we generally don't have random number generators going all the time, so we would never know. So one of the first experiments where we got all our buddies around the world to run their own random number generators was the funeral of Princess Diana. Because mm. it was known in advance, it was known it was gonna be carried live, there would be a lot of people watching. So we, we had a bunch of random generators going uh, and we did find that overall there was a significant deviation from chance, suggesting that 100 million minds paying attention to that event caused random generators around the world to change. So that was the beginning of the Global Consciousness Project where uh, Roger and his son Greg built the infrastructure to allow dozens of random generators around the world to run 24 seven. And then to, if an event occurred, we can look at the data and see whether it was random or not. And so- Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You were gonna ask a question. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I was reading about that and I, I saw that um, some of the things that had been tested or the number, some of the events, I should say, that were used to test this theory were the O.J. Simpson verdict, the death of Princess Diana, 9-11, and then I saw more recently you used something called a Q&G during the 2016 election, but I'm, that's probably a different topic we can touch on in a second, but I, I saw that for the 9-11 example, the coherence or the, um, lack of randomness, the slight lack of randomness in the numbers started a few hours before 9-11. And then I was reading that there's this misconception now that random number generators can predict large events, or I, I wasn't quite sure what it was trying to say. I was wondering if you could go into that a little bit. So with the, the, with the Global Consciousness Project running, you, you essentially have a random walk over, it's now running for 23 years. So over a 23 year second by second, measurement of randomness. And as any random walk, it just fluctuates up and down randomly. 500 events were the, uh, were the formal aspect of this experiment. So a formal event was defined as something was either planned, like, like the opening ceremony of the Olympics, or something happened spontaneously like a big earthquake. And once we decided that we're going to look at what's happening in, in the GCP, as we call it, we would define the event in terms of how long it would be. Some events ha are, uh, begin and end over a course of an hour or two. Some of them might go on for a day. We generally would not go more than a day or two. Uh, and then we would look at the data 
and use a standardized method to analyze it and see whether or not there was a deviation or not. So we did 500 events like that, including 9-11, a bunch of others. And what you see then when you look at all of these events is it accumulates to a small degree, small deviations, but they're all pretty much in the same direction. And it, it adds up to what's called a seven sigma deviation from chance. That's equivalent to odds against chance of three trillion to one. Okay. So that means if you think of this very long-term random walk over 23 years and 500 spots on it were selected as big events in the world, that those were deviating. Each one of those deviated in about the same direction and also about the same magnitude. And it says those deviations are not chance with odds of three trillion to one. So when you look at any given, any given event, like a major earthquake or 9-11 and some others, sometimes what you see in the data is you see that there's a rise that's occurring before. Okay. It, it is not clear that it's, that it's a precognition or we, we don't know exactly why that's happening. But the fact is that, that some events seem to have a, what amounts to a precursor, almost as though, and this is hand-waving, but almost as though uh, people before 9-11, for example, many report dreams and other feelings, bad feelings of something about to happen like a premonition. Maybe that was happening on a large scale. And maybe that was a kind of mental coherence that was being picked up by these generators. We, gotcha. we, we don't know. Um, and then, so you were talking a little bit about the meditative aspect of the random number generator experiments. Um, when you say meditating, do you mean people who were quite literally in a meditative state, like um, practicing meditation, or are you also referring to, you were talking about attention versus intention. Are you also referring to people that are just maybe like at a concert or something and they're all focusing on one thing or watching a TV show and they're all focusing on one thing? What does meditation mean in relation to this, um, these experiments? Well, for, for events that were designed as meditations, like for, for at this period of time, we'll get everybody in the world who, who wants to play, uh, will meditate for 30 minutes on peace, right? So they're, they're meditating. So they're, if it may be a meditative style, a specific style, or maybe they're just contemplating this idea. So, so that's, that's what I mean by meditation. But something kind of like that occurs when you have something extremely engrossing happening that's carried live by the media. So before the GCP began, uh, the O.J. Simpson trial was one of the things that I was, I, I ran five random number generators then. And there we, it was one of the first times in, in the modern world where the media was carrying something live that was of interest to many millions of people and that the, of, the event would occur in less than a second, namely when the foreman would say guilty or not guilty. So you have enormous amount of attention focused on that one second. And then our hypothesis was, well, if that's like a, a giant mental coherent moment, would that be reflected in a random number generators? And the short answer is yes, it was. So that, that's one of the other uh, spontaneous experiments that we ran that gave rise to the idea of building this thing, this infrastructure that would simply run all by itself for many, many years. So does that mean that consciousness or the mind has some physical property that maybe 
some sort of physical property that can change those numbers or how how does that interaction can you explain how you hypothesize that that interaction happens or is there some sort of i don't know like molecules or electrons that come out of your brain when you're really focusing on something and then that can manipulate the random number generator or how does that work yeah so that's a very good question how does it happen what's happening so the first thing that most people go towards is uh, a mechanistic model uh, that has involved something like beams shooting out of your head. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. Yeah, but that's because we, we live in a society and in, in modern world where in a scientific sense, we always think of mechanism of action. We're literally thinking of something like gears of a clock that are moving together somehow and that's how things happen. Mm -hmm. That is probably wrong in terms of this kind of phenomenon. Instead, uh, we need to re-examine our assumptions about the way that the world works. And from a scientific perspective, there shouldn't be any mental effects that produce a, a physical effects at a distance. Uh, we, we know, so we're certainly aware of mental effects that change in, in your own body, right? That all of neuroscience is about the neural correlates of consciousness, that we can measure things happening in your brain that are closely correlated with what's going on inside your head. Mm -hmm. But there, the assumption is that the, the, the activity of the brain is giving rise to our mental space. Like, it's, it, it literally is a correlation. There's a relationship, but we assume that there's a correlation, there's a causation to it. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing then in, in these mind-matter interactions in psi events in general is that it is, it, we've never detected anything that looks like a, like a mental force. There are no beams coming out of the head. And the reason we can say that with some confidence is because these phenomena are not constrained by the ordinary boundaries of space and time. That's why they're considered weird. Mm -hmm. Because if you can see something at a distance or see something tomorrow or see something that happened before or influence something tomorrow, we can't come up with a, a viable mechanistic explanation with a slight possibility that there's some weirdness in quantum mechanics that might be related to this. But we, we don't know if that's the case or not. So another approach, which is the one that I, I favor, is to look at the philosophy of science. And for many years, when anybody would say the word philosophy, my mind immediately went to sleep because <laughs> it, it makes your brain hurt. But I've learned then that philosophy really is just about examining the assumptions that you're making. So science, like anything else in the world, is based on a whole bunch of assumptions. We assume this and that, whatever. When you're going through a scientific career, very few scientists will ever take a course on the philosophy of science. And so you, you can go through your entire career and not even realize that you're sitting on a whole bunch of assumptions. But in fact, that is the case. So the assumptions in most cases for most science are perfectly fine. We don't need to change materialism, it's, it's, it works. But when it comes to something as odd as this, mind-matter interactions or the Global Consciousness Project, it doesn't work so well, so you have to look elsewhere. So the elsewhere where, where I've settled on, for now anyway, is something called neutral monism. So what this says is that Yes, there really is a physical world out there. It has certain laws and constraints and physics has a pretty good handle on it. But there's another aspect of reality, which is purely mental, it is not physical. It has its own laws and constraints or whatever, and we might call it consciousness. And so consciousness and the material world become two sides of the same coin. They are not the same thing. 
they coexist in a tightly tethered manner, but they're not the same. So if, using this metaphor of two sides of the same coin, if one side of that coin suddenly goes through some kind of a change, like the change of becoming highly coherent, then the other side, the material side, has to change because these, these are two sides of the same thing. I think a, a way of thinking about these phenomena using that metaphor is better than trying to figure out force beams coming oh. out of the head. Uh, and this is, as, as I said, that the, these kinds of effects don't seem to be bound by distance, which is, makes it very difficult to think of in terms of force beams. Uh, and it also makes it easier to understand, well, why would it, these, the random number generators are not magical devices. Anything that we could measure, according to this model of, of neutral monism, anything that we cared to measure would be modulated in some way. We know how to look for it in a random number generator, but plants would be influenced, we would be influenced, all kinds of things would be influenced because the physical world would change whenever the mental world changes. And one of the reasons why we don't normally see this all the time is because we're not measuring stuff constantly. And in most things that we would measure, we wouldn't actually know how to look for it to change. So that, I mean, this was a divergence into philosophy for a bit because that's, I think, the only way that we, we can understand it right now. And at least from an empirical perspective, just based on the data you get in experiments, something is going on. Maybe someday in the future we'll be smart enough to figure out how it works mechanically. My guess is no, we're gonna to have to use different kinds of models to understand what happens when consciousness is involved. So something that you said is that distance is not a factor, right? So when an RNG, for example, in the middle of a meditative circle versus RNGs around the world while some event is happening, have the same anomalous effects then, is that what you're saying? As far as we can tell, yes. Yes, okay. And then would you be able to talk a little bit about um, the difference between an RNG and a QNG? So a random number generator is designed to produce random bits. That's mm -hmm. all it can do. It's a coin flipper. When you trace down, well, how does it know what's the equivalent of tossing the coin? Where's the randomness come from? It comes from electronic components in, in the circuitry. And one component in, in particular that produces nice randomness is called a Zener diode. And the Zener diode's randomness comes from a quantum mechanical effect called electron tunneling. So electron tunneling, you can think of when, when electrons are moving through an electronic component, that uh, there are these uh, electrons like a little packet of energy. Uh, in order to, for it to move, it has to move in a place where it has enough energy to be able to move. But you can create energy barriers in, in the semiconductors. These are, these are uh, a barrier is probably a good metaphor. It's a barrier where the, the electron doesn't have enough energy to jump over it, in which case it would, it would stop. And so the current would stop flowing because the electrons can't get over the barrier, except that they do get, they get through the barrier. And so it's called tunneling because they're just jumping right through the barrier. Well, from a classical perspective, you can't do that. If you're throwing a ball at a barrier, the ball is not going to magically show up on the other side of the barrier. But in the quantum mechanical world, that can happen. Why? Because in the quantum mechanical world, the ball is partially a solid object, but it's also a wave-like thing. And so a le an electron has wave-like properties. It's not physical. It's some other thing that we call a wave, 
waves are not bound by the same constraints. So a wave can tunnel through a place where it shouldn't go. So the, the interesting thing is that when that happens, is considered to be completely random. We can't tell when with this particular electron in this particular time, we don't know, it just happens. So that the random happening creates random noise, random little pops basically. And so that is what gets turned into with series of electronics into the coin flips. Okay. So that's a random number generator. The, the, uh, the value of that is that you can take these random bits coming out and you can send it through something called an XOR gate, which is a logical way of scrambling the data even more. So you scramble it because you don't want the circuit to be susceptible to changes in temperature, changes in electromagnetics or whatever. You want it to be completely impervious to any kind of mundane influence. And so any commercial random generator that you get will do that. It, it, you can put it in an oven and put it in a fridge, do whatever you like to it as long as it doesn't melt or freeze, and it will still put out very well-behaved random numbers. So those have been used, those are used in the Global Consciousness Project and many other experiments precisely because we don't have any way of normal way of influencing it. So if you see a change in this thing, then presumably the only thing that was changing was your attention. So that's why it's useful as, as a device in the lab. The downside of it is that if you try to figure out, well, why did it change, right? We're getting, we're getting effects that show up in this experiment. We don't have any idea how. Well, you can't go backwards through a logical gate, right? You have this XOR gate, which is scrambling the data and it separates the, the raw noise in the circuit from the output of the circuit. So a quantum noise generator, the QNG that we developed is measuring the noise directly. Okay. So it's, it's getting the noise out of these zener diodes and recording the noise. And past that wasn't done because it produces a gigantic amount of information and, and, it was, and memory was expensive. Now you can record terabytes and it's not so expensive. So we have ways of looking at the, the source of the noise rather than, than the, what amounts to after a whole bunch of conditioning, just getting random bits. So that's why we developed a, a quantum noise generator. And then you used that QNG in an experiment in 2016 during the presidential election. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. So presidential elections, especially when there's a lot of contention, we, we know is again, a very good case of, of uh, where a lot of attention would be paid. So we had a device that was producing, I forget how many, either 16 or 32 channels of, of this quantum noise in, in a single device about the size of like a, um, a cube. Uh, and so we ran it before, during, and after the, the election. And because the, the election was contentious and uh, the results were so surprising, we figured this is great in terms of an experiment because we would see a lot of, of focused attention and kind of an explosion afterwards of attention, people going in both directions. And we also were then able to develop a new kind of measurement. So we're not so interested in deviation from chance as much as two different kinds of deviations, which metaphorically are, uh, are, are like Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars saying, I felt a disturbance in the force. Well, what is he talking about? One way of thinking of it is that we live in, in some kind of fabric of reality and that large scale things that affect consciousness might create ripples 
in this fabric of reality. That's what the disturbance in the force is trying to point at. That there's, we live in some kind of medium, basically, and they can be disturbed. So we created two, two kinds of metrics based on uh, ripples in time and ripples in space, which you then can combine into a single measurement of, of ripples or warps in space-time that, that the QNG can measure. So what we found in then is that uh, within a minute or less of the announce, the final announcement of the winner of the 2016 election, there was a huge deviation in this space-time metric, very much like there was a disturbance in the force. Mm -hmm. And as I wrote in my book, Real Magic, the, we happened to be uh, working with somebody, the person who built the thing lives across the street from the Skywalker Ranch. I read that, how fitting. Yeah, so then we figured, well, that was the right place to put this, and it was just a device sitting in his garage, running over a course of a couple of days, and that's where we saw that effect. Amazing. So when, out of all of these 500 plus experiments, um, is there one event that generated a, the largest deviation or the largest anomaly or the largest change in the random numbers that you can think of? Is there, a, has, have you looked at the data or has anyone looked at the data and been able to say, wow, this event produced the biggest anomalous change? Uh, I, offhand, I don't know which one that would be, but they're all listed online. Okay. It's the global-mind.org. And there's a list of all the 500 events, a list of all the results of each event. Uh, as um, Roger, who's the prime mover on this thing, keeps saying after giving a presentation, you can see the a graph associated with each one of these events, that the, the effects that we see in any given uh, event are pretty small. Some are statistically significant, quite significant even, but most of the time it's, it's a rather small event. And you can see another graph which shows the cumulative result of the 500 events. And so if you occasionally got some wildly big result, you, you would see a graph that kind of goes along and suddenly there's a big spike and then it goes along. And that's not what you get. What you get in these experiments is a small continuous accumulation where a curve just keeps going up the more trials that you have. And that actually is a good thing here because it means that what the, the effect that we're seeing is not heavily dependent on the nature of the event. And the, event, and the effects that we're getting are not monstrous either. There, we're seeing small but real deviations that simply add up eventually to odds against chance of three trillion to one. Okay, and then I wanted to talk to you about um, Randonautica. That was my starting point for the research that led me to Global Consciousness Project, that led me to IONS, that led me to you. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it because I had for this episode, I also interviewed the CEO of Randonautica, who is a huge fan of your work, huge fan um, of Roger Nelson. Um, and so he, he, I was kind of chatting with him about what, you know, why is he, why did he create this app? What was the inspiration behind it? And he said he was heavily influenced by the Global Consciousness Project. And he's not a scientist. He's not trying to perform a scientific experiment. But I still thought it was interesting that he's also having these anomalous effects um, using a random number generator. So I kind of wanted to talk to you about that. I'm not sure, are you familiar at all with what Randonautica is? I am. Okay, so I'm just gonna give a little brief description for our listeners. Randonautica is an app that has been downloaded millions of times all around the world, anyone who has a smartphone. And when you open it, uh, it asks to see your location 
and then it asks you what radius you would like for it to look around you in. So you can set a radius up, I, I think it's up to like five miles or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it uses uh, the quantum random number generator from Australian National University. Mm -hmm. And what it asks you to do is it asks you to focus on an, on an intention. And that intention can be whatever you want. It could be as vague as peace or happiness, or it could be as specific as green shirt or red snake. And while you're focusing on that intention, you're supposed to put all of your energy and, and attention into focusing on that thing. Then you will click generate uh, coordinates. And what the app does is it has an algorithm that converts those randomly generated numbers into a bunch of what should be then random GPS coordinates. And wherever those coordinates seem to cluster the most, it says that that is going to be um, an anomalous point or an anomalous point on a map where something significant is. And the idea is that the mind matter interaction occurring between the user focusing on their intention and the ANU quantum random number generator and Randonautica's own algorithm will lead that user to something related to their intention or if not related, something that is significant to their intention. So there have been examples where someone focused on the word travel and then at the quantum number point that was generated, um, they found a suitcase, an abandoned suitcase, or someone focused on um, happiness and it took them to a house that had a giant flag on the front that had a bunch of balloons and a happy face. So a lot of these, I think, are just sort of fun and like, oh, it's, it's just a way to explore your surroundings. And the CEO who we interviewed said, yeah, I mean, it, it's what you make of it. Um, if you don't believe at all in mind matter interaction or you think because this isn't a scientific experiment that it's not significant, then at the very least you're exploring your surroundings, you're having a good time. But there's been so many people online talking about the weird experiences that they've had that our listeners were like, hey, we want you to look into this. And so I was wondering, if you think that this is more of a coincidence or people wanting to see what they want to see, or, or is, could this be an extrapolation of these, my, of the experiments that you guys have done are related in some way? Is, is that mind matter interaction related in some way, or is it simply just a coincidence? Well, this is the difference between a spontaneous unplanned event Mm -hmm. Right. It's the the app is essentially making um, it's trying to take the idea of a synchronicity, mm -hmm. a meaningful coincidence, essentially, and planning it. So it's there's an oxymoron there. You're a planned synchronicity. That's true. And the, on the other hand, most of the experiments that we run, especially ones with random number generators, that's exactly what they are. Right, because as we already, I already said that we don't know exactly what the mechanism is that allows the mind to manipulate probabilities in a random generator. I mean, maybe, maybe it's neutral monism, maybe it isn't, we don't really know. So when we do an experiment in the lab, it's under tight control in the sense that we know exactly what we would expect by chance, and that's how we know whether something occurred by chance or not. Okay. It's still because we don't have a mechanism in mind as to why it happens. Uh, it's kind of a controlled synchronicity. I wish for this to happen, and more often than not, it does happen. So it's not too surprising to me that for an app which is making 
a synchronicity, like matching your intention with something out there in the world, that occasionally people would find something that they consider to be pretty remarkable. Whether it's chance or not is not possible to know because there's no control in it, right? So it could be a control if, uh, if somebody would operate the device or if it had two modes in it, for example. One is which where you say, you press a button to get it ready. But what it's really doing is, is picking out coordinates before you've made your intention, mm -hmm. right? So like random coordinates out there. And now you do it with your intention. So you have, you have a, an intentional and a non-intentional mode, or there are lots of other ways of doing it. But the point is that you have a, a control place and a real place. Okay. And now you have people go to both. And now you have them register. Well, how close is this versus that place in terms of how it matches your intention? When you get enough data, you'll start to see whether or not the randomly selected spot is different than the one that was intentionally generated. And then it becomes an experiment. But as it is now, I think it's a very clever use of a kind of construction of, of a synchronicity and then possibly could be turned into an actual experiment. And have you ever used the app or, or tried to, to see how it works? I've looked at see how it works. It's, it's well done as an app. I haven't tried to, to use it partially now because I'm not particularly going out and randomly going places. <laughs> but yeah, but at some point, yeah, I can imagine using it just for fun. And um, I was going through YouTube videos of different interviews with you. And something that I like to do is go through the comments to see what people are saying. And over and over and over again, people have been commenting saying that your work and the Global Consciousness Project's work and work with RNGs in general and mind matter interaction is trying to overload the simulation or um, hack the matrix or that's it, which pops up over and over again on the comments. And so I thought, well, if so many people are talking about it, I'm going to ask. And so I guess this is just kind of like a fun closing question. Um, do you believe in simulation theory? And then do you think that there is a way for these experiments to break the simulation? Or yeah, it, I guess I asked, sorry, I asked this to the Randonautica guy and he said that he hates simulation theory uh, because he does he dislikes the nihilism that comes along with that a lot of the time. But he said that he thinks his app actually proves that we are not in a simulation. He thinks that synchronicity and intention and um, meaningful synchronicity kind of proves that we are not in a simulation, that what we do does affect, um, you know, we do have free will. What we think and what we do does affect our surroundings. So I was just kind of wondering as a fun closing question, since that pops up over and over again in the YouTube comments, what you think of that? I, I don't know what to think of simulation theory. I mean, it's a little bit like somebody's played SimCity a little too long and start getting the idea of that combined with the movie, The Matrix. Uh, you can make a plausibility case, right? So that it is not inconceivable that, that we're living in some kind of a simulation. But the, I guess my objection to it is that uh, even if that were true, we can't live as though that is true. Because then it, it, you immediately are running into the question of do you have free will or not? If you really don't, if everything you're doing, including what your, what your beliefs are and, and all of your activities, you think you don't have the free will to, to choose this versus that, it's like game over. You know, why, why bother to do anything? And as you mentioned, it becomes a nihilistic universe and with no meaning to it.
So my, my preference then is to say, well, we are nowhere near as smart enough to know what the nature of reality is. That if you look in the history that people have always taken whatever's the leading technology and said, well, that's, that's how it works. Now we got it. Well, we have computers in SimCity. And so we're saying, okay, well, if you were inside that simulation, you probably wouldn't know it was a simulation. And so maybe that's what we're doing now. Well, you know, we're in a tiny little slice of history where we're using computers. But if you go back and then people are thinking about thermodynamics and they're talking about multiple dimensions and so on, they were constantly using whatever is the latest thing as a way of understanding who and what we are. So I tend not to collapse into any particular theory, partially because if you, if you hold tightly to a theory, everything will be perceived through that lens, like everything. And as an empiricist, I tend to distrust relying too much on theory because as I said we we're a young species on a young planet out in the middle of nowhere and we don't we simply don't know yet we don't know answers to lots of fundamental questions we don't even know what a photon is we don't know what an electron is we we, we know something about how they behave under certain circumstances but we don't know fundamentally what charge is with with like all basic physics when you come all the way down to the bottom and you keep asking all those annoying questions about well why does it work like this and what is that the truth is we don't know we're we're kind of making it up and, and making narratives along the way and we we know that we know something about it because otherwise we wouldn't be able to make a smartphone right it's a very complicated thing not that many people even like it could open it up and look at it and say well how does that work well most people have no idea how it works. Right. For those who do know, what they know is how to put it together and because it has certain characteristics that will work. But fundamentally, we don't know. So if you ask me again in about 2 million years, if humanity is still around, I might probably will have a better answer because we will have learned a little bit more about how things actually work and what, our, what the role of consciousness is in the physical world and all the rest. So I'm, I'm neither uh, in favor of or not in favor of simulation theory, but see it in its historical context as one more piece of a puzzle that we're trying to put together, which is a way of, of understanding what we are. Well, I think that's a great place to end it then. Thank you so much, Dean. And where can our listeners find you? Well, you can find me either at uh, deanradin.org, which is my personal website, where I have my, my latest book, Real Magic. Uh, and you can go to where I work, which is noetic.org, the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And that, uh, among other things, shows that I'm a member of a team of scientists and we're studying all kinds of interesting things and they're listed there on the website. Awesome, thank you so much, Dean. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Wow, that's yeah. so cool. How did you find this guy? So I was looking at Randonautica and then I was looking at, they say on their website that they're inspired by mind matter interaction and I didn't know what that was. So I Googled that and then I found the Global Consciousness Project, which did all of the experiments on mind matter interaction and still does. And then I found Dean Radin because he did the experiments with 
Roger Nelson, who's the guy that runs the Global Consciousness Project. And then I've found that Dean Radin works at this place called IONS, the Institute of Neuretic Sciences, Noetic Sciences. And then they're doing all kinds of experiments on like all kinds of like psi phenomena, like telekinesis and stuff. And I was and then I like was looking him up and he worked at Princeton and he's like done all these really cool things. He's worked at Project Stargate. And I was like, I want to talk to this guy. And I just figured he would never respond. And then he did. Right. And he's a baller. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, (laughs) Alyssa, your intention was strong enough that you attracted him into your life, I think. Maybe so. I hope that he doesn't think I'm a fucking idiot because I didn't understand (laughs) a lot of what he was saying because he's way smarter than me. But he did a good job dumbing it down for me. I think. Well, see, my thing is it's like you tell me that your mind matter, your mind can control matter in a way that shows up on a random number generator and I'm like, "Okay, cool." But then if you like quiz me on like how and break it down, then I don't get it. And so like for me, it's just way easier to just like accept things as they are. <laughs> well, that's why in the in the intro to this episode, I was like, "I don't know if anyone is as like anal or neurotic about stuff as I am but when I like when I was researching randonautica I was like talking to friends about it and I'm like do you know like what randonautica is and everyone's just like yeah you set an intention it sends you somewhere that's it like no questions asked and then for me I like I like spiral I'm like but why but how and how is it doing that and why is it doing that and so I that's just how I am is I'm like a toddler I like spiral out of control and I'm like I need someone to explain this to me because I don't get it I think it's really cool. Well, thanks, Natalia. I thought it was cool, too. Um, and I think that the work that Dean Radin is doing and the work that the Institute of Noetic Sciences is doing is really important because, like Dean said, scientists don't get to study the philosophy behind science. Then a lot of these other phenomena that could be getting studied aren't getting studied or aren't getting the proper funding or aren't getting the proper credit that they deserve. So anyone out there who is listening to this right now, definitely go check out Dean Radin. Go check out IONS. Go check out his books because to me, this was super super, super interesting. And now, Natalia, that we understand all of those five philosophies and the science behind Randonautica, the theory behind why it should work or why it does work the way that it does, um, now that we understand all of that, I want to play for you the final interview that I did for this episode. This interview is with Joshua Langfelder, the CEO of Randonautica. So, The very next thing that the listeners are going to hear now is that interview with Joshua Langfelder. Unlike with Dean Radin, we didn't use Zoom for this interview. I used speakerphone and my regular microphone to record it. So I hope that you all can hear him and I'm going to play that now. Okay. Hi, Joshua, and welcome to Let's Get Haunted. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. This episode, we're delving into Randonautica and some of the philosophical and theoretical implications that it could have on our world. And so I'm so excited and honored to have you joining us for part of this discussion today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So, Josh, let's start by having you introduce yourself to the audience and telling them a little bit about your background before we get into the meat and potatoes of the app itself. Sure. Um, my name is Joshua Langfelder. My company, Randonauts LLC, creates the app Randonautica. Um, we started as a grassroots movement last year and slowly kind of formed into a company and released this product um, in April. 
my background is mainly in the theater art. Uh, I was raised in the theater. Both my parents are performers. I worked in the circuits at Lone Star Circuits in Dallas for five years. Um, that's mainly my background. I went to school for anthropology and electronic media and communication. Um, I've just always been involved in creative projects and in the arts. So that's sort of my background. Awesome. Well, what inspired the creation of Randonautica? Okay, so, so Randonautica really was, was inspired by um, the, the works of Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab, um, the PARA research, um, the field reg paper, which um, states that human consciousness can influence random number generators. So that was like one of the really big um, influences on this research. Um, also, Guy Debord's Theory of the Derive is a really big influence on uh, Randonautica. And this, this idea that you uh, walk where the mind guides you and uh, kind of just be guided by the unconscious and you go to places you wouldn't normally go to um, being guided by the unconscious rather than, you know, the causal web of, on streets and highways and your normal routine. Um, we started as a grassroots movement of people just kind of experimenting with this idea of of going to random places it was like a big group effort. There was like originally an open source Telegram bot that I made called Shangri-La Bot based off of the source code that um, one of the team members created. Um, we eventually developed that into the application Randonautica. Um, I want to give a shout out to our two biggest biggest heroes on our team, Simon and David. They're the ones that actually are hacking away at the app and making Randonautica. They're working all the time to make it available. And, like, we had such a big growth. We're still in beta. We haven't even had a full release of the app. And these two guys are really just, like, working day and night to keep this so everybody can have their fun adventures and explore. So I really want to shout out Simon and David. You guys are so awesome. Thank you so much, dude. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I was on your website today and I did see that you guys are still in beta and that really surprised me because you guys have thousands of people that are using the app daily. Um, do you have any numbers yeah. about around about how many thousands of people or I don't know if it's hundreds of thousands of people that are using the app? Um, for daily active users, I don't have a number, but I know that we have 10 million total downloads. Wow. Um, and then you were talking a little bit there about some of your inspiration for the app. And one of the things you mentioned um, is the hypothesis that consciousness can influence the distribution of random numbers. Um, and I was kind of hoping that you could share with us, because we're going to be really talking about that this episode with some professors from Princeton, like uh, uh -huh. Professor Dean Radin. And I was wondering if you could kind of talk about the journey from being, from reading about this hypothesis and then putting it into action. Because I think for a lot of the things that we talk about on this podca podcast, we talk about what we're interested in, and but we very rarely act upon those interests. We're sort of just talking about, whoa, isn't this interesting? So something that's really intriguing to me about your app is that you took that interest and you put it into practice in this really tangible way that everyone can get their hands on. So I would be so interested to hear about that journey. Definitely. I mean, I, that's definitely the original intention behind this project was to take um, this sort of research that's been done and like that great guys like Dean Radin, Dr. Dean Radin, who's like a hardcore science guy, 
and like take that and make it really accessible and just get people used to those ideas. I, I think that was definitely one of my largest intentions with this project was just to get that idea out there that minds can influence random number generators and, and just like just to open the possibility to people that you know the observer can actually influence something rather than just being a passive observer. There's actually some intent influencing something. So that, that was definitely one of the biggest inspirations behind the project. So like I was definitely delving deep into parapsychology and I uh, had definitely read, read all of Dean Radin's stuff and listened to all of his lectures. Um, they, they're, they're so interested in proving this statistical measure um, and there's all these different research about like proving a statistical measure and an effect size. And we're on, on the other hand, we, we are like not a lab experiment. Randonauta is not a lab experiment. We're not an academic experiment. Uh, we're kind of just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what works. Um, we're, we're not approaching it in that way. We want to do a really practical um, application. So, like, we want to get something in people's hands that they can actually use and, and experiment with and have fun with. So, yeah, it definitely went from me reading about these papers and, and going, huh, that's interesting. Like, um, and then discovering this technology, um, a random number generator, sending you to random locations and starting to actually, in practice, experiment with it. I mean, I, I, I lived this myself. When I first ran into the Phaeton Project guys and got the source code for the bot that, that sent you to random places, I didn't know anybody who could kind of relate with what I was going to do. Uh, I didn't know anybody in the world. I knew I had like one friend so I was like, hey, yeah, I got this random number generator that'll send you a random location. And he's just like, okay, how do we try it? You know, like we really didn't know what was going to happen. Like the first time I tried it, I literally thought the MIB was just going to be there waiting to debrief me or something. <laughs> I really didn't know. But that was like part of the whole mystery. Like we really didn't know. And we still don't really know a lot of questions. It is like diving into the unknown. And that's kind of the appeal, I think, for a lot of people. It's, it's like some people get scared of the uncertainty, and I think other people kind of thrive in it. And, and that's sort of the appeal of randomizing in a lot of ways. But yeah, I definitely went from like idolizing Dean, Dean Radin and Roger Nelson and, and all those guys. And uh, then we, we put it, we put some of that stuff into practice. And uh, it, it, what they what they have done is it, so incredible um, through the last few decades. I mean, like they they know that there is this effect of consciousness uh, influencing random number generators. But but from what I hear, no one has a real theory on how it works. Like, they know there's some effect there, but no one has a really good theory. Like, they think it's based on some quantum mechanics, based on, like, how things are connected. But mm -hmm. no one has a really good theory of how it works. Yeah, and I think you're right that that's sort of part of the appeal of Randonautica and things like the Global Consciousness Project, which is spearheaded um, by Raiden and Nelson, uh, is that the mystery is what's so intriguing. And I think it's also sort of heartening to know that we don't know everything. There's still so many things to learn. And I think that's part of the appeal of your app. And I was also wondering, so your interest in this hypothesis um, that so many others share about human consciousness affecting random number generators have anecdotally, I know you said that this obviously is not a scientific controlled experiment that you're doing here with Randonautica, but anecdotally, do you have your findings so far indicated um, or corroborated that hypothesis in any way? Um, I, I mean, I have no, like you said, we're not, we're not doing a strenuous experiment here where we have some kind of um, tangible evidence, but just my personal anecdote, um, there's at least something there enough that 
it inspired me to keep experimenting for a year. You know, I still love doing random modding, and like it still like kind of scratches that itch of being an existential investigator and wanting to like learn about what's around me and my, my surroundings. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the question. Oh, I was just saying. Um, do you anecdotally do you find that people that are using the app are having these mind matter experiences that would suggest that random number generators are influenced by human consciousness in some way? Yeah. So not all, not every time. I think our effect size is very, very, very low, um, which is actually a good thing, I think. But like sending millions of people out on trips. Even if the effect size is 0.01%, then every once in a while someone has just a really weird trip where you're just like, wow, is that really a coincidence or is that something? I mean, I can personally share a few of my experiences that were just like so weird. Um, Oh, yeah, we would love that. We would love to hear about that. So the the third time I used it, um, it brought me to this trail in the woods and... I walk up to this trail, and there is this, like, African tribal drum sitting in a tree in the middle of Dallas, Texas. And, like, when I saw it, I thought my eyes were, like, deceiving me. You know, like, that's so weird. Why would there just be, like, this African tribal drum in this tree? And I walked up to it, and surely enough, it was there. And, I mean, I was so surprised. It was like it pulled me out of my body, like, almost. Like, I was, the hair was raising up on my arms, you know? Like, I was like, what is this drum doing in this tree? I have a picture of the drum. Um, but I thought that was so weird, and people were like, that's so weird, and it was, like, full of dirt, and it must just washed up there or something. Hmm. Um, yeah, and so I left the drum there, because I thought it was someone's ritual working space, and I wanted to be very respectful of it. But I would go back and visit to see if anyone had moved it, and I, I, I had never noticed anyone moving it, but we did go back one time with a friend of mine, and there was, like, this snake earring right by the drum. I guess somebody put it there or something. It was very weird. A snake? It was like a very significant synchronicity between me and my friend. Like, we have a really long story about snakes that I don't want to go into, but it was, like, really significant. And then I go back another time to this drum, and I almost step on a red rattlesnake right where the drum was, where I found that snake earring. There was a red rattlesnake. They're, like, called Texas pygmy rattlesnakes or something. It was bright red, and it rattled its tail at me. And when it rattled its tail and those black eyes were staring into my eyes my awareness was permanently heightened i mean permanently and 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 that was like one of the most weird experiences i've had um now to say whether that was like due to the random number generator i don't know but that was surely a lot of weird anomalous stuff to happen in that one spot um i don't know but then that's just one instance and then i had another one that that this is another one that i like to bring up it's like i was walking to the point with my friend and we were talking about giant skeletons um just just casual conversation and then we get to the point and it's like at the edge of a lake and there's a dude meditating at the edge of the lake and i walk up to him and i ask him have you heard of the studies of you know meditation influencing um random number generators he says yes and the next thing out of his mouth is he points across the lake and says do you see those rock walls over there well, apparently there are giant skeletons buried in those rock walls. There's, yeah. Did you, and you hadn't said anything to him about, I like... I had not said anything to him about the giant skeletons. Me and my friend were just randomly talking about giant skeletons, and it leads us to where this guy goes, there's giant skeletons. 
Wow. So that was like just, I, I don't know how to explain that, you know. That was just like either a really crazy, I mean, I saw a little picture of you meditating by the lake, but a really crazy synchronicity or something. But just stuff like that, that just like, not just like a surface level synchronicity, but like something very deep and very like entangled and like meaningful. Like um, another time, um, this February, February 2nd, I got taken to a Virgin de Candelaria Botanica shop. We were just having an event where we were going random outing that day. And I just went out, just clear-headed, kind of no intentions, just went out. And it takes me to this botanica shop for the Virgin de Candelaria. Well, it turns out February 2nd is actually her feast day. And one of our members of our team, Tobias, he was actually in Candelaria uh, and walked in her candlelight vigil the night before. And so I sent him a picture. I'm like, look at this random place I just got taken to, the Virgin of Candelaria botanica shop on her feast day and he's like dude i'm in candelaria right now and i venerate her and i just walk in her candlelight procession last night oh my gosh like really weird synchronicity just like it's those kind of amplified levels of synchronicity that just get really strange and that's what we're really trying to amplify because like right now there's a lot of stuff going out about like creepy stuff and they'll like make hoax videos where they find really creepy stuff and like that's like kind of missing the point a little bit like uh randonautica can take you to creepy places like if that's what you want like you'll certainly get it but like it's kind of missing the point because we're really looking for these mind-bending experiences mind-bending synchronicities and stuff and uh i think just looking to get scared is kind of like missing the point but in our new episode ready or randonaut which is the randonaut tv show we're doing we really highlight these kind of mind-bending experiences so i'm really excited about that you know, and that's a perfect segue because I actually wanted to ask you about um, setting an intention because that's one of the things on the app when you open it and you're actually using it while it's generating that random quantum point for you, it um, it prompts you to focus on an intention. So you're not typing anything into the app, which I think some people that don't use the app are kind of missing that point is that's where the mind matter interaction comes in is that you're not typing it into the phone. You are supposed to be concentrating on it. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what an intention is for people who may not have heard of this before and what the purpose of setting one is. And then I also was wondering if you are viewing setting an intention as a form of meditation, such as in those RNG experiments conducted by the Global Consciousness Project. So maybe start by just explaining a little bit about what an intention is, what the purpose is, and then whether or not you make that connection between setting an intention and meditating. Um, so it's a very tricky question. I've thought about this a lot because people ask me, and it, it's very, very tricky. But I think, like, whatever, if, if we're going to assume the observer can do something and influence something by observing it, I think whatever they do, that's the intent, right? Whatever the purpose is behind the observation is it, sort of the intent. This is a really good question for Dean Radin. I mean, I, we pretty much just go off of what he says is that. They, they do experiments with mind-matter interaction where people influence these random number generators, and they will just ask them to visualize something. And if they can't imagine something or keep it in their mind's eye, um, they, they'll be used as a control for the experiment. So I think we default to, like, imagination, visualization. Um, that's a really good way. I mean, there's a lot of methods for setting intent. A lot of people have different ones, like lighting a candle or doing some meditation. And, yes, yeah, so to answer that question, if I do think it has a lot to do with meditation, and experienced meditators or people who use focus for an extended amount of time in their work generally are better at influencing um, 
these random number generators. Mm-hmm. And like you could you could actually train yourself um, in practice um, to get better at it. It's like a skill. And do you find that from the very first time you ever went randonauting to maybe the last time you ever went randonauting, do you find that this app, it sort of has a secondary effect of helping you improve with visualization or meditation, even in your personal life? Yes. So we have, we have noted um, an attention response, like a learning and attention response. Um, people pick up things and, and they heighten their awareness just from looking for synchronicities and looking around, it heightens your awareness and your perception ability. And um, actually, uh, learning to influence probabilities actually just makes you a luckier person. Um, like learning to influence the random number generators and stuff actually just makes you luckier on the macro scale. Oh, like, interesting. Uh, yeah, you're, you're like training yourself to get lucky, basically. <laughs> Um, And then to kind of go back to what you were saying about positive versus negative intention. So on um, Radio Randonautica, I was watching the YouTube video that explains how to use the app that you guys put out. And I noticed that it's explicitly encouraged, right, to set this positive intention. And some of the examples you guys gave were peace, love, or creativity. And I was hoping you could speak a little bit on the logic or philosophy behind setting a positive versus a negative intention. And then is it your belief that the app only works as intended when a positive intention is set? Um, Or is it more of a safety concern, sort of like you just said that you don't think it really makes sense to set a negative intention? Um, Is that because you think positive intentions are more powerful or is it more out of concern for user safety? Um, I think, I think it generally it's like, well, what, what is my interest in, in using Radonautica? I, I would never want to experience anything uh, negative, really. Like, so people going out and looking for danger and looking for death, I, I would highly recommend not doing that. And I think that is an extremely stupid and dangerous decision. Um, just in general, to go out looking for danger or death, just in general, and, and that's just, you're not in a good place if you're doing that. You know what I mean? In my opinion, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think it's a user safety thing. I think if you're just not going into it with good intentions, like, yeah, that's, that's not a good thing. Obviously, it's not something we can control. It's not like I think it's always a bad use case. Like, I think people looking for creepy places is not, like, necessarily, like, wrong or bad necessarily. Like, it can be if you're safe and responsible. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely recommend going into it with positive intentions because it can actually shape your experience. If you start looking for negative stuff, you're going to start looking for that you're going to find it and it's going to confirm what you're looking for and you're going to put yourself in a bad place um so yeah i would really recommend to avoid what we call the despair mean which is like sort of these irrational ideas that come into your head to kind of keep you from adventuring or like just putting negative like people's thoughts will often manifest at the at the idea of going to a random location their thoughts will manifest their deepest fears right so like it's like oh it's got got a location in the middle of the woods there must be some murderer waiting for me there like we see this happen all the time mm-hmm. and so I would I would definitely recommend on your journey to not fixate on um, those kind of irrational fears and stuff and, and sort of just be open to the experience because when you're doing that you're actually training your brain to deal with uncertainty and you're training your brain to like be brave and be courageous. And meet that fear and go and experience something outside of what you would normally experience. You're really opening yourself up to new possibilities by doing that. 
Right. Well, and that's also a good point because as you said, you know, perhaps focusing on this intention is a form of meditation. And I have never heard of anyone, you know, wanting to meditate on negativity or manifest some horrible catastrophe. Um, So I think if we're going along that vein of philosophical thought, then it makes a lot of sense that this app is not for negative intentions. Right. I I think the app is is neutral and, you know, you really get what you put into it a lot of times. I I, I just wouldn't recommend going for negative um, intentions. Uh, just being a bad idea. But, but another thing is, like, I, I would also recommend going into it with no intention and just an open mind um, because the craziest things I've experienced have been outside of my mind's conception. Like, I didn't go looking for some strange drum in the woods. I was just looking for treasure or whatever. You know, I was just looking. Right. And, like, that will open you up to things you couldn't even have conceived of. Because I think what, if, you're, if you're trying to control the experience too much, you go, okay, I want to see this. Like, yes, it does work sometimes when you do that. Um, but I think going into it with an open mind, you can experience things that are so outside of your conceptual awareness that, that that's what's really interesting for me. So in order to use the app, you don't have to set an intention. It's recommended, but... Uh, it's recommended on the app when it's telling you to focus on something. But in your experience, most of your interesting synchronicities have happened when you went into it with no expectations. Is that is that right. correct? Right. Yeah. Or, or like I said, like with the giant skeleton thing, I wasn't necessarily intending to find giant skeletons, but it took me to somewhere I had been talking about or thinking about. And so a lot of times that's how it works. It's like you may not be consciously intending to, to do something, but you can influence it. In, in some ways that you may have not consciously intended to, but just like something you were talking about or thinking about will be at that place. We have a lot, a lot of stories about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wanted to get a little bit into how the app works, specifically as it involves random number generators, since we are going to be talking about this more um with people like Dean Radin. And so um, when you open the app, it offers you three RNG options for users, A and U, temporal telephone and temporal server. And I was wondering if you could explain what these three options mean to our listeners. So ANU is the uh, quantum random number generator located at Australia National University. Um, We've been using them as a source of true randomness um, at Australia National University. Um, Temporal is based off of CPU clock cycles. That's a really experimental feature. I, we can't really say, like, that's totally experimental. Like, it, it may not work that great. It, it, it may not pass um, the diehard suite test. Uh, it may not pass some statistical measures of randomness. But we have it there to experiment with anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have another one, um, Camera RNG, made by this guy Andy, who's, like, really awesome. He actually determined a way to get true randomness off of your phone's camera sensor. I'm not sure if that's in the app right now, but it has been, and it probably will be. But uh, we've actually tested the responsiveness rate of the camera random number generator, and it's actually very high. Um, so, so getting a true source of randomness straight from your phone uh, is totally possible. Huh. So when you say the camera helps generate the randomness, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, it uses like some kind of noise, um, some kind of noise, um, and it... Um, measures this randomness based off of the noise in the camera sensor. So it's like uh, 
it generates this um, randomness using um, Johnson Nyquist noise, thermal noise. And so that's that's an ability to get a true quantum randomness just using your fluctuate thermal fluctuations in your phone's camera sensor. Um, that's also experimental, but it does actually pass um, the Die Hard Suite um, test, which is a source of uh, test just test your source of random numbers to see if they're random or, or not. Oh, that's really interesting. And then for, I think some 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 of the part that I'm having trouble understanding is. So these random numbers, for example, generated by ANU or in um, from reading noise on the camera that you were just talking about. So those random numbers that are generated, how are those then converted into GPS coordinates that are near you? Um, so I'm going to throw out some ideas that I had seen people talking about in different articles online. Is it that, because ANU is open source, anyone can access those random quantum numbers um are you are you looking at those numbers that are being generated in real time and then seeing if any of those numbers line up with gps coordinates near the user within the radius or is there an algorithm that your app is using to convert those random numbers into gps coordinates yes there's an algorithm that our app is using to convert the numbers to gps coordinates okay um and then So I don't know if you want to, I, I don't want to make you feel like you need to talk about anything that's like a trade secret or something, but if there's any insight you can give on how you're doing that um, in vague terms, uh, that would be great. Yeah, sure. I can give you a really basic breakdown of our algorithm. Okay. Um, basically, it like if you imagine like that your radius that you set is like a dartboard and you're just throwing darts at the dartboard. Wherever they cluster to an improbable degree, we hypothesize that those points may have been influenced by consciousness. So we call that cluster an attractor mm-hmm. or an anomaly. And wherever there's like a dense, uh, a big uh, empty space, we call that a void. And so we're, we're measuring the statistical probability versus like a normal random distribution. If it's like statistically improbable that those points cluster together really densely, we hypothesize that there may be something interesting there. Okay. Um, and so then what is the difference between an attractor and anomaly? So I understand that. So if you have a map of the world and there was some way to throw darts at it, like you're saying, where most darts fall, that area would be an attractor. I understand that. Where the least amount of darts fall would be a void. But how do you determine an anomaly? So an anomaly is just the highest power of either type. So the power is like how densely um, clustered they are or how empty of a space it is. So they're both um, statistical outliers of a different type, but they're both significant statistically. And so an anomaly just returns the highest, regardless of either type, but the highest power and how statistically powerful and improbable it is. So that's like the most improbable okay. uh, so, anomaly. So when a user um, hits on their phone, um, I want to find an attractor, for example. Then the algorithm within Randonautica is taking data from, for example, ANU or Temporal and is converting those into GPS points, thousands of GPS points. And wherever there is the highest cluster, that's an attractor. Wherever there is the biggest vo- um, void is a void. And then whichever out of those two during that 
gener map generation is the highest power, that would be an anomaly. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And then let's see here. So um, there are so many different hypotheses on um, random number generators and the effects global consciousness or human consciousness has on them. And some people think that distance is a factor and some people think that distance is not a factor in terms of how close the user is to the random number generator. And so I was wondering what your thoughts are on if a user, say in California, I'm in California, is using the app and selects the ANU option, which is located in Australia, as you said, is it your belief that the mind matter interaction is occurring between the user and their phone or between the user and the ANU RNG? And then if the latter, do you think that distance is a factor or is not a factor on how well group consciousness affects the numbers? Um, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer because I've seen, you know, just in the um, global consciousness um, experiments, I've seen so many varying opinions. So I was just interested in, in your opinion on that. Yeah, um, I, I really, um, this is a really difficult question. Um, I, I think um, what, what we're doing is like, what we're calling, we're calling it the information field. And that by your brain, using this random number generator um, biofeedback kind of response, um, we can access this information field that contains information um, that we wouldn't have otherwise been aware of. So we can access interesting information using this intelligent field, right? We're, we're sort of tapping into this shared global consciousness or whatever. Um, and I think there's, um, there's different ways to do this, but from what I've heard, um, and, and like it depends on your source of randomness, but I, I believe that the effects are non-local. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter where in the world the random number generator is, um, the effects are non-local. Um, now, it, I've heard, like, also that, it, you know, it depends on, like, how entangled you are with this. Like, something that you've held in your hands, you may be able to influence better than something you only have a vague idea that it exists. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, um, mm -hmm. So, and, and I've also heard that pseudo-randomness can be influenced, but you have to be in the room. So this isn't something that I'm saying for a fact, but which is something that I've heard is that um, they're using a certain type of quantum randomness the effects are non-local, but using pseudo-randomness, you can influence that, but you have to be around it. Got it. Yes, I have also read that as well. Um, and then that kind of brings me to this question about experimentation with the mind-matter interaction. And has Randonautica ever considered, you know, doing a global experiment with the app, wherein, for example, you ask your users to all focus on the same intention at the same time on the same day to see if that coherence in intention or coherence in meditation produces a sort of super anomaly or global anomaly. For example, if you asked every person using your app at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the 3rd of December to focus on... Um, oh, I don't know, uh, a green shirt, let's say, just something simple for the sake of the argument. Could Have you ever considered doing an experiment like that to see if the anomaly then became global, where everyone sort of encountered, despite going to different GPS coordinates, everyone sort of encountered the same um, anomaly? Yes. We have, we have done sort of similar experience in the past, but it was like 20 or 30 random ups at the same time. Uh, now we truly have an international audience, 
um, we definitely want to do something like that. So what we thought of doing is like maybe sending a notification of like a picture or something uh, on a certain day and having everyone focus on intent on that picture and then see if that influences what people find that day. I think that's a really awesome idea and a really cool idea for an experiment that we definitely want to do. Um, like definitely we want to get more into this idea of people working together in groups to influence the intent and find specific things. Like maybe you have one group that they go out and they just want to look for cats. Or another group, they just want to look for gold coins or something. And you can use Bayesian analysis to sort of like measure the different intents and separate the intent and uh, share it and multiply it, like more the merrier. Definitely. And then, so you said you tried this with a smaller group of 20 to 30 randonauts. Can you share a little bit about that experience or what people found during that trip? Uh, yeah, I, I think um, we, we did a few events where it was just like uh, Alice in Wonderland event, and everyone kind of went with the intention of Wonderland, and it was like throughout a day. And we, we've done different ones, like a nature-themed one, um, but they were pretty loosely organized, and this was like I said before, we really blew up, so it wasn't on the same scale that we could do now. Um, the results were pretty inconclusive, but however, that um, Virgin to Candelaria story I told you about that happened on February 2nd, yes. that was actually during one of those events where we were all focusing our shared intent. Um, oh. So it could, could be that that made an interesting, more, more interesting effect. And then, um, so you had shared, so going back to that uh, example of the Candelaria that you just talked about, you shared some of your uncanny experiences. Is there any experience that has been shared with you from maybe a team member or just a random user that really sticks out in your mind as something truly anomalous or something just incredibly interesting, coincidental, coherent, um, an example of synchronicity that just sticks out in your mind? Yeah, I think, I think my favorite one ever um, is this woman on Facebook posted this story of she got a random location at this person's home and this is not really recommended but they had so many welcome signs on the door she thought well they're so welcoming I'm just going to knock on the door and uh, explain to them what I'm doing and say hi so she knocked at the door and explained to her that she's using this app that uses a quantum random number generator to send someone to a random location and, um, the, and the guy he opened his eyes wide and he's like flabbergasted and he's like I just sat down at my computer because I have a huge speech I have to write tomorrow and I, and I have um, writer's block and I asked the, the universe for a sign and that's when he knocked on my door. Oh, <laughs> wow. A her and this guy on, on this Facebook post um, with a welcome sign and everything. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, yeah that's, that's incredible. One of my favorites. Um, and then I... Before we get into, I have just like a couple random fun questions, like lighthearted questions I wanted to do. But I also wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe if you had any additional comments or rumors you'd like to dispel, because I've seen some crazy articles written online um, saying that you, the creator of Randonautica must be a Russian scientist or the algorithm producing the random numbers is, is tied to the dark web when if you actually read about your app or if anyone even bothered to visit your website, they would know that that's not true. So I was wondering if there's any rumors you'd like to dispel and do things like this make you laugh or is it more frustrating for you? Um, I, you know, I think at a certain point you kind of have to laugh um, because it's, just, it's so out of control and just mess. I mean, kind of overnight, me and my small group of friends became this, like, all-powerful villain, you know what I mean, like, super group 
right. who are, are capable of getting away with anything and, like, connected to the dark web. Like, no, we're clearly on the clear web. We've always been on the clear web. I think this is just another uh, example of people's fears manifesting, so they're just like, you know, that's something that's unknown, so they latch on to their deepest fears and go, it must be this, and we play some sort of imaginary villain role for them. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely just have to laugh. Um, at the end of the day, I've been peace and love my whole life. My girlfriend knows I'm peace and love. My mom knows I'm peace and love. That's what I'm really concerned about. Um, but it does it does make you laugh at, at some point. I think people really want to read into it and find some kind of nefarious thing going on. And really, it's like the most innocent thing in the world. We just really wanted to use random number generator to explore the world and change the way people perceive and interact with the world. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, too, maybe the tendency of if you don't understand something is to immediately go to the negative. And so I'm not entirely surprised that there are so many conspiracy theories, but I think actually the reality is much more interesting, which is this whole mind matter interaction theory that has, you know, it's not a new concept. This has been being studied since the nineties, but this is the first time I think that this has really been so accessible. I think so, too, in a really practical way. And we hope to have more practical applications and do do more stuff like that. Um, well, yeah, I really appreciate coming on. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, like, I, I, I think another – were you going to talk about simulation theory? Yes, absolutely. So that is my fun questions that I have for you. I wanted to ask you – a little bit about simulation theory. I actually had read an article that said that the purpose of Randonautica is that it's setting out to disprove simulation theory. Is that true or is that another rumor? It's a, it's so so like, I would really like to clear this up. Um, Randonauts, Faith and Project, uh, the, the origins have really just have nothing to do with simulation theory at all. So I'm not really interested in proving or disproving. It's really a misattribution entirely that what we're doing has anything to do with simulation theory at all. Okay. Um, for the purposes of the experiment, we assume reality is real. Um, you can try and break the simulation if you want, but um, that, that's been a long rumor. Like, I, I think as soon as we came out, people started writing articles saying we were trying to break the simulation, and it's just it's not what we're trying to do. Um, we're not trying to prove or disprove the simulation hypothesis. Right. Um, and then do you personally... Have any thoughts on simulation theory? Just as like a fun, lighthearted question, do you personally think, I guess it's possible and maybe my app could, quote unquote, break the simulation, even though that's not its intent? I think, I think, um, really, I, I, I don't like simulation theory because I feel like it's coming from a place of loss of agency. And it can come to like a really like solipsistic kind of nihilistic point of view where you're like, oh, nothing's real, nothing matters. So I should do what I want. All these people are just NPCs. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it, it comes from a really kind of drag down kind of point of view. Um, I think, like, the idea that your mind can influence reality or that somehow, like, reality is made up of mind or something, I think that kind of gets twisted into the simulation theory stuff. And, like, I just don't really like how simulation theory implies artifice. So, like, it's like a metaphor for how we live in this responsive environment with the mind, but it implies that reality is fake in some way, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we really think that synchronicities and what we're doing proves that reality is real, you know, like, I, I think that's the, the evidence of, like, just how connected things are, not that something is fake, um, 
I think, in a way, we kind of are breaking out of a matrix. If you, de- if you define a matrix as a predetermined web of causal events, mm-hmm. and we are sort of like slipping out of that causal chain of events and like creating a new web or chain of events or new possibilities. And that kind of goes into um, psychogeography, which I think I had read one article that that was also sort of an inspiration to you because the concept of psychogeography or part of the concept is being able to explore an environment that was designed for you to explore it in one way, but now you're given the opportunity to explore it in a completely different way. For example, sidewalks are designed for us to walk on. And then your app may give a point that is on a hike, for example, that maybe is off the beaten path. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about psychogeography and the role that that has played in your app. I think definitely um, psychogeography, like it, it, it definitely played a huge role in shaping in shaping um, our research. Um, I'm not like some big uh, guided board scholar or anything, but. Um, I, I enjoy the idea of just like, for instance, like just walking in a straight line across your city and you just don't move out of that straight line. You just go straight and you'll end up in like hidden areas in places you didn't know existed. And that's just like random nodding. It's like we're putting ourselves in places where we don't know what's going on. Like we don't know what's going to be there until we get there. And you end up at somewhere you maybe didn't know existed and it's right around your house. So I think that kind of changing your perspective on uh, the landscape is a really cool thing. Definitely. Well, I think that's actually the perfect place to end this because I think that if our listeners take anything away from this interview and this episode, it should be that kind of one of the less scientific or less technical parts of this app is really about exploring your environment in a new way. And I think that that's really relevant, especially while we're in a pandemic and it offers people um, something positive and hopeful that an activity they can do while they're quarantining. Yes, I think I think so. Social, social distancing and random nodding is a great, great thing. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joshua. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I had a a lot of fun. Thank you. Here's a thought that I'm having while listening to all of this. So basically, the reason that crazy shit doesn't happen on this earth is because we're not all on the same page. Let me explain. So those like random number generators or whatever... Those all kind of like have an anomaly when something globally is happening, right? Because like everyone's mm-hmm. focused on that. And like that's the problem kind of with uh, the, the meditation thing or like how he was talking about like, oh, we could kind of get everyone to see a photo and then like think of it for a second. And then that would affect the random numbers that are generated. And I just think it's interesting because it's like if we could all be on the same page like globally, like I I wonder like, you know, thousands of years from now when we have like this global population where everyone's kind of homogenous, like we all kind of have a similar global culture. We have similar global thoughts. We're all connected through like means of technology that I can't even like comprehend right now because it's like 3000 years from now. Then perhaps there will be more telepathy and there will be more um, this like mind matter control and whatever. And I think that's like, that's what I mean because I, so side note, I was talking to someone recently about a conspiracy that, (laughs) that we will not get into on this episode, but um, 
I'll just take a, like a small piece from it. So they were saying that like the fifth dimension, that's like the, the ascension of like humans coming from our current dimension. I think we're in the third right now or whatever to the next level is going to be like, oh, we can now control like matter and things like that with our minds. And there's going to be more telepathy and there's going to be more um, psychic ability and everyone's oh, like their eye is going to open or whatever. Right. And it's interesting because I'm like, I wonder, I feel like in order for us to access that power that we have to use our consciousness to um, affect like random number generators or affect matter, like use our mind matter control or whatever. It comes from like the power of everyone sort of being on the same page, you know, like having similar thought or like yeah. just being in the same like energy or whatever. And like we're kind of barbarians right now in terms of like just the way that humans are like we don't all speak the same language like we fight the shit out of each other we have we can't even fucking run a country we all have like a fucking different opinion about everything we can't agree on shit and so that's why we can't have telepathy is because we're fucking arguing like assholes about everything yeah Yeah, you could be right i mean who's i mean if we think if i mean i'm on board with the theory of mind matter interaction right i feel like i that's I have enough information now where I'm like, yeah, this sounds right. like it's real. So, yeah, you're right. If if you can, if just one, if we think that Randonautic is real too, if we think that just one person generating a random number uh, and random coordinates with an intention can affect the outcome of where those GPS coordinates go in a way that is meaningful. And then we also know that when big groups of people are thinking the same thing, that random number generators are affected really in an incredible way where like the numbers are mm-hmm. becoming super coherent, then you're right. I mean, who's if ever if we can just get everyone on the same fucking page, then like matter could be affected in such a way that I don't know, like crazy shit we can't even comprehend could happen. Right. Time travel, like, you know, um, crossing through different barriers to different dimensions. Like maybe that's like how the paranormal even works is like it's this you start to be able to have this mind matter connection. Like after you die, you're no longer on this earth. And then maybe that's why we have paranormal stuff happening here is because there's like your consciousness when it leaves your body is able to affect matter because you're all on the same page or you just have this power. I mean, I can't fucking explain it. That's what he was talking about. I don't, I can't explain it. It's yeah. just something that I think is real. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, and I also think something that I took away from this interview, especially with Dean Raiden is like, it's okay to not know how stuff works. I feel like for right. a really, especially like while I was looking into this, like I was saying, I just kept going, but why, but how explain to me, how explain to me why. And then I think I've just kind of accepted, like, if I can't, if I don't understand how it works, then like, that's probably fine because there's a lot of shit that we know is happening, but we don't know how to explain it. I think it's kind of analogous to like driving a car. I'm not a mechanic. I don't understand how all of this stuff is working. I don't know like what happens when I push the pedal in mechanically, like why the car goes faster or whatever, but I can do it and get what I need out of it and use it as a useful tool. So I I think this was a really good episode. Like you kind of got into what makes this random number generator thing, quote unquote, haunted is that it works like we can control it with our mind but we don't fucking understand how yeah that's weird 
Yeah, that's weird. And that's what makes it haunted. It's not that this is like a spooky app controlled by Russian mobsters. It's like, no, the science behind this is really fucking cool and interesting. And we can't explain it. Right. Like the fact that there's this super accomplished scientist that's saying, hey, you know, I was part of these very controlled, very well-funded studies that proved People can fucking read words off of a document that's locked in a safe somewhere that they've never seen before. That's amazing to me. That's yeah, super haunted. Amazing. That's like every everything. I mean, I've always known that like everything we know is probably bullshit. Because if you like, you know, the dinosaurs like 65 million years ago, if you were about to if you asked them like how the fucking plants they're eating grow like they don't even have the language to communicate that with each other right but then like (laughs) as we evolve we start to understand things and like everything we've ever known kind of goes out the window as we like learn these new theories and it's really I think it's really about like kind of like taking in just being having an open mind which is such a weird concept with science especially because you would think like oh no like there's right and wrong but like isn't the whole point of scientific theory to test new ideas and hypotheses yes or hypotheses I totally agree and I think that's what he was saying too I mean I don't want to put words in his mouth because I'm a dumbass like (laughs) but so maybe I'm wrong and I'm misinterpreting what he said but I feel like that's what he was saying when he was like why aren't more scientists taking courses on the philosophy of science because you need to understand that every scientific thing we know is really just a theory because something else could come along that disproves it. And I think yeah. that's really cool to like think of things instead of black and white. Like, yeah, like you're saying, it's it's aren't we all kind of in a gray area? Like, right. Yeah. Well, it's just being able to, you know, adapt and change as we get new information and not reject it because it's too hard for you to like, you know, put it away in some file in your mind that makes sense. And that's like what this whole podcast is about. Right. Is like having an open mind to something. So yeah. I like these people. These People are really cool. I can't believe you got to interview them. That's so legit. The Also, the whole time I was listening to these interviews, I was thinking like, wow, that comment that the stalker made about this being a shitty Reddit source <laughs> podcast fucking lit a fire under <laughs> Alyssa's ass. And she was like, I will fucking show everyone right now what kind of podcast this is. <laughs> so to end this episode, Natalia, I wanted to show you some pictures that I'm going to post to the Instagram and they are the top posts on r slash randonauts and that's basically people that have used the app and have had like weird synchronicities happen so I'm going to text those to you right now and I want you to react to them okay so I'm looking at the screenshots you sent on this one says first time randonauting my intent was quote weird but not scary and it took me to this door Oh my gosh, and the door has spray painted on it, not scary. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That's so weird. That's so weird. Um, this next one says, me and my boyfriend's intention was love, and it brought us to our initials carved in a tree, and it's a tree with J plus A on it. Wow, that's so cool. This one says, my intention was something happy yet creepy, and balloon with the word happy deflated in the middle of nowhere. Oh my God, yeah, and it's like, one of those like happy birthday balloons but it's like been deflated and it's covered in leaves so all you can see is the happy weird super weird um this one says my intention was death and i was sent to a cemetery i used to smoke joints at when i was in high school except the drop pin was a gravestone for mary jane huh (laughs) this one says 
First time I ever ran an outing. I have chills. Set intentions for good vibes slash happiness and wanted to see yellow. This is what it brought us to. The balloons also have Isabel written on them, which is my name. I was not expecting this to work, but wow. Weird. Okay, so yeah, this is a bunch of balloons tied to a mailbox that are gold, and it says Isabel. It's like someone's birthday, I guess. That's so cool. This one says, my intention was scary, and it took me to the middle of nowhere on a dirt road. I pulled up to this old abandoned mansion where religious retreats apparently happen. Haunted. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like a creepy old, like hotel asylum looking thing this one says a girl i know has been missing since march naturally my intent was her i was brought to the merrimack river twice and then merrimack street a couple hours later and then this popped up on facebook woman's body pulled from the merrimack river the body of a woman has been pulled from the merrimack river according to the officials in manchester new hampshire the department said that its boat unit responded Friday afternoon to a report of a person in the water near Interstate 293 overpass. It says that the body was spotted by a person in a canoe and that a police officer had already pulled the body ashore by the time the uh, fire officials arrived. So they were trying to find this missing person and the app took him to places that where she was, basically. Yeah, uh, presumably. This one says, set our intention to find something creepy and unexplainable. The app certainly delivered. Our power score was literally 6.66, and it led us to this exact sign. Super creepy. Oh, my gosh. And the sign says, it will end in tears. Are these real? Are these people just trying to get upvotes? Like, I need to try this app. Okay, so I tried it. um, I tried it a couple weeks ago, and... The first time I tried it, it sent me to someone's backyard. So I couldn't like go there, obviously, because that's private property. Then the second time I used it, it sent me to the middle of the road. And my intention was Angel. And it sent me to a spirit Halloween store. So that was kind of that was kind of funny. And then the third time I used it, I said paranormal. And it sent me to the side of a mountain that I had to hike up. I had to like park on the side of the road and hike up this mountain. And right where the spot dropped, like on my phone, it it was the only thing on the mountain. And it was a deflated flamingo balloon. So I don't know if flamingos are paranormal, but I tweeted after that. I was like, are flamingos haunted? (sighs) Yeah, flamingos are haunted. How do they get here? No one knows. No one knows. How do they get pink? We do know that. It's from the shrimp they eat. But still, that's haunted. You turn the color of your food, haunted. Okay, this one says, I went to an attractor point with the intention of seeing a spirit of sorts. It brought me to a spot I used to hang out with, an old friend who passed a couple of years ago. I still can't believe it brought me to the exact point. It's funny how I kept visualizing seeing him. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it, it looks like a lakeside road where, like, you know, teenagers hang out. Okay, this says, my intent was closure. I came across a field of my sister who passed birth flowers. I've never seen these in real life, and I have them tattooed on me. I feel at peace. And it's a picture of these flowers, and she has the same flowers tattooed on her arm. Wow. My intention was something to show me this isn't bullshit. And it led right. <laughs> it led me right here. Needless to say, I'm hooked. Oh, my gosh. And it's a tree that has like a little paper tag hanging from it that says this is a sign. I wonder if like it sends people to the same spots. And so like people, if you get to a spot, you leave something. I don't know. It's supposed to be totally random, but I guess it could send people to multiple random spots if you're generating it enough times. This one says, I went with the intent to find a glitch in the matrix and it brought us to this door that hasn't queued up yet. Oh my gosh. And it's like a door that's like bricked over. So it's like, it's like a stoop. And then there's in the space where a door normally would be, 
it's just a bunch of bricks like the door is just bricked over yeah i know that one that one made me laugh this one says virgin randonaut set my intention to see something unexplainable and then there's a a, just a lazy boy chair in the middle of a field well that's cool oh my gosh this one's really cute it says, first time randonauting, we set our intention as peace and safety. It took us to a storm drain where we found an abandoned kitten in. And then it's a photo of their cat. Yeah. See, so sometimes there's like wholesome stuff that happens too. It's not just like a haunted, like creepy app. It's really what you make of it. Right. This one says, my intention was, quote, glitch. Kind of looking for a sign to show if the reality we live in is a simulation. I guess I found it. And then it says, it's like a brick wall with graffiti. This is the sign you've been looking for on it. Um, this one says, I asked for anything to do with my best friend who committed suicide two years ago, and I saw a raven, and it dropped a feather, and she said if she was to have a spirit animal, it would be a raven. Wow. Yeah. See, so it's like, I'll, I don't know. I When I was researching this, I found so many articles written by, like, boomers about, like, make sure your child's not randonauting. They're going to get kidnapped. They're going to find a dead body. They're going to, like... Be murdered but if you actually go onto r slash randonauts the ma- the majority of stuff that people are finding is like super positive right this one says we went randonauting randonauting and set an intent as a dog and then we found a stray dog and took him home and it's a photo of a little lab that's cute yeah so something that is super prevalent on r slash randonauts this is the last thing i want to talk about is people say like oh i'm looking for a glitch in the matrix and then some people say like This app is proving that we live in a simulation and it's trying to break it. And I was like, why are people saying that? And I was kind of like, I watched a YouTube video on it. I don't remember who the girl was that posted it, but it basically said like, if if we live in a simulation, if you believe in simulation theory, then everything that happens is not random, right? It's like The Sims, like someone is controlling everything and there's no free will. Right. So if there if there really is a way to generate random coordinates, then technically the computer running the simulation shouldn't be able to predict where you're going. So if you're able to go to those random coordinates, then you should see something unexplainable there because you're breaking the simulation because the simulation is trying is like trying to catch up to you like it doesn't know where you're going and so like it's just trying to generate an environment for you so that you don't like hit the wall of the matrix oh yeah and so i asked joshua langfelder and i asked dean Raiden what they think and they were both really dismissive of that theory and joshua langfelder really hates simulation theory um and then dean raiden basically said hey maybe but like we just don't know so i'm not gonna speculate on whether or not we're in a simulation because there's no way for me to know well luckily i'm here and i'm telling you that i will speculate on things i have no way to prove or understand (laughs) and i think that this proves the simulation theory All right, Natalia, do you want to do our sign off? Right. Okay. Um, great episode, Alyssa, by the way. Thank you Thank for you. getting these Thank people you. on our podcast. Maybe this will finally get those jerks at Wikipedia to take us seriously. Right. Um, okay. BRB, going to Stonehenge with my shaman to try and find out if the simulation is inspired by real events or random numbers. Sounds good. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.